1: What is up, Gypsy Gang, and welcome to another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Stoked to bring you this one with uh, my good buddy Eli Moore. Uh, Eli ran one of the first motocross blogs called uh, Brotacross. And I knew of Brotacross, the blog, before I actually met Eli. Uh, But in my time in the US, I actually got to know Eli really well. He became one of my best friends over there. And then we eventually started working together. Um, when he moved into a role as a producer at Red Bull. So uh, really good mate of mine and unfortunately we just we haven't really been able to keep in touch that much with the uh with the time difference and how busy those guys are but um we spoke maybe a week ago on the phone for ages and then I was just like dude you just got to come on the podcast so we can have a a a proper catch-up uh he's super knowledgeable in the uh motocross field but just in life in general he's just he's a really good dude I love how his uh how his brain works and yeah, we just had a really, really good conversation and a really good catch-up. Uh, this definitely isn't like an interview-style podcast. It's more of us just kind of... Really shooting the shit as a couple mates that haven't really spoke in a long time. So I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, just got to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, uh, and this is a bit of a happy birthday—20 years of Boost Mobile. Such an incredible achievement for a business from Australia to really just take on the world the way that it has. And 20 years later. <clears throat> pardon me, 20 years later just still be providing such an amazing service to people all over the world, not just um, in Australia, um, but people all over the world. So you can head to boost.com.au, find out more for yourself, but for about... Almost three years, I've been running Boost, and I have not looked back. Uh, We're also brought to you by the guys at Fist Handware. You can use the promo code FuckJace at FistHandwear.com, and you can also use the code RampThief to get 15% off Dixon Flannel. Also brought to you by the guys at Maxis. Uh, I chucked a set of the Maxis soft tires on the KTM 350 this weekend and went to QMP. Uh, I was honestly a little bit nervous about the track condition. Um, you just, yeah, you know. QMP is like a box of chocolates you just never know what you're gonna get and uh, the track was really good in the morning kind of went away towards the afternoon and I was kind of worried about the wear on a soft tyre uh, but I ended up putting two hours on my bike and the thing still looked really good so um, really stoked on those I will be switching to a, to the sand tyre for this weekend in Rocky uh, which is something that everybody should consider doing if you're in Queensland um I've been campaigning pretty hard for a 30 plus class and that is available at Rocky uh so just search the Rockhampton King of Capricorn if you want to come and join us this week and uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Motorex as well um Big thank you to the guys at MX Store as well uh, for basically just keeping our bikes on track. Uh, the guys have an incredible range of products and their showroom in Burley is just super handy. If you live in the area, you can head to mxstore.com.au for same day shipping though if you're not. Uh, also, a massive thank you to the guys at Rival Inc Design Co. You can head to rivalincdesignco.com and pump in the code Gypsy Gang for 15% off. Uh, I will be showing y'all my uh, my new kit going on the 350 uh, this week pretty excited to pick that up and the boys exciting for them they've also got a new state of the art uh, cutter so their production times are going to be going through the roof so it's literally never been a better time to order a set of rival ink graphics for your dirt bike uh, Also you can head to gypsytails.com to get your merch if you feel like supporting the podcast. Um, And then that's it. Really excited for Rocky this weekend. Uh, Sam and I will be continuing on from Rocky to Cairns, um, doing a little bit of a content trip. This is going to be our New Zealand for this year because we can't really go. So excited to uh, go on a little bit of a trip. Sammy's never been up north and um, yeah, it's going to be a good one. But before you get into that, have a cheeky listen to uh, my mate Eli. This was a r- really fun podcast to record. Um, and yeah, like I said, dude's just a legend. So enjoy. Gang, huh? gypsy. Gang. Gypsy. Gang Eli Moore, what's happening, bro?
2: Not too much, my man, Chase.
1: We're, uh, we're on. We
2: were saying it before, but it's been a hot minute.
1: Dude, it's been way too long. So I'll give everyone a little bit of an intro. Um, So Eli is a producer at Red Bull, but before that he was Brodacross, who was essentially like the the meme god before there were memes, really. Uh, And yeah, so he had like this really dope website called brodacross.com and it was like a satire type website that it got very savage. And for a long time... I feel like you might even be like kind of Ronnie Mac before Ronnie Mac, because like only a few people in the industry oh, even like kind of knew who Brodacross was and it was like, how does this guy know what he knows about all these people? But um, but anyway, so Eli went to have a very successful uh, blog called Brotacross. I believe you were kicked out mm-hmm. of Supercross because of it uh, and then went on to do yeah. some verb uh-huh. stuff and and then Red Bull. So, But uh, aside from all of that, Eli was full one of the homies in America, one of the boys I spent the most time uh, with over there, yeah. um, all sorts of shit from snowboarding to working to uh, mountain biking to moto. So we uh, we caught up on the phone the other day and uh, I was just like, bro, we literally just have to shut the fuck up right now and just do this on the podcast.
0: <laughs>
2: yep, it was time and I'm glad we uh, finally decided to do it.
1: Dude, you even had your own podcast for for a while, didn't you? You had, like, the Brotocross podcast. I did, yeah.
2: I did. I did, like, five episodes, I think. They're still all on SoundCloud. It's called the Unnamed Brotocross Podcast, and I kind of modeled it after Bill Burr's, where it was just me talking for, like, a half an hour, um, just ranting, basically. And I enjoyed doing it, but it was – I, like – kind of you know had to produce it myself and wound up just um kind of losing interest i guess and mm. i was just over it at that point point. and it was like that was when i was starting you know working for red bull full time so it was it was like when i got home i didn't want to be doing another thing on the computer you know
1: yeah yeah dude yeah. there are a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you know, right.
2: I know I'm preaching to the choir here.
1: Um, so the Brodercross thing, like, I guess we should just start there. Cause I've never really spoke to you about the, um, I don't know, like that much about the details of it. Cause I didn't know you until you were out on the West coast doing essentially mm-hmm. like the kind of verb and then the red bull thing. But like, where did it all even start if you just sort of start doing it? Cause it got like real big, real quick.
2: Yeah, it got pretty popular really quick. I started it in 2010 because I had graduated college that year. And when I was in college, I stopped racing just to, even though I had summers off, I would still ride. I just didn't really race in the summers. And so when I graduated college, I started racing again and I wound up um, blowing up my bikes and my dad was like, all right, you're, I'm not paying for this. So you've got to pay for it. And I didn't have any money. So I was just like really frustrated, didn't have a bike and i that was I had always kind of thought about starting a blog about motocross because I just had a lot to say about it and so then I did it, and I didn't really intend for it to even be a thing it was just supposed to be like an it was outlet like an basically outlet, yeah and it uh but I just sent it to some people and kind of I would like post it on my Facebook and stuff and then people started just sharing it it was just real organic just um like the power of the internet you know and then like it got to like David Pangry at racer when he was at racer x um posted it like on he wrote about it on racer x and yeah and it was like because I remember I had been even thinking about stopping at that point because it was it had probably been like a month or two and I wasn't really doing it with any regularity, but in in kind of the same with my podcast was like almost losing interest. And then once Ping posted it, it was like this, I suddenly had legitimacy and then it just grew from there. You know, it was pretty explosive, not like explosive, explosive. Like it was not um, the days before viral was really viral. And, uh, but it was, definitely like became it quickly became the most popular motocross blog and i think that that's like the claim that i stick with because like blogs aren't even really a thing anymore yeah. and uh it's all like vlogs and stuff now but like when blogs were a thing i had the biggest one in motocross
1: yeah it was crazy and like it did go so quick and everybody i mean especially like on the west coast because i I guess I was out there in 2010, so I guess I would have been kind of hearing about it from I uh, yeah, I didn't know it was 2010 that you actually mm-hmm. started it. But um but yeah, it just blew up and I I just remember everyone would talk about it and be like who the fuck is Brodercross dude? Like how does he know this about this person and cuz there was definitely some shit mm-hmm. where it was like it was like legit inside dirt that people just wouldn't know if they didn't have some legit connections in the industry but then you were talking as a dude that like not many people that had legit connections in the industry would say the kind of shit you said and i think that's why it was so like so popular you know
2: yeah. It was, that was really what the hook of it was, was that nobody knew who I was because at that time I really was nobody. I was just some kid from <laughs> uh, New England. And, but everybody thought that I, I, the only reason I knew all that stuff was just cause I kept my, I just had my pulse on this or um, my finger on the pulse uh, of the sport, like so close cause I cared about it so much when I was a kid and then. So I was just like always on, you know, when that was back when vital was like moto drive and stuff and like thumper talk and looking at forums. So like, I would just get information like that. And I knew a lot of stuff. And then I just always had all the facts in my head. Like motocross was the thing that I always could keep in my head so easily, like all of it.
0: yeah
2: And, uh, so people thought that I had, like you're saying, like they thought I had to be somebody like from the industry that was like going rogue. And (laughs) because I was I was like, I didn't give a shit. I would say anything. I wanted to be funny. That was like my primary goal was that I wanted everything to be funny. And so I was definitely just saying everything that I heard. I didn't even like have any um, filter at all. Like in terms of, Oh, that's probably like, a bad thing to say about this person or cause you don't even, I didn't even have like facts and stuff like that. I was definitely like, cause I was young. So I was, um, really, um, loose cannon, I guess with (laughs) everything that I said, (laughs) but it was, that was like what everyone loved about it. Like when people started to figure out that it was me, like I would, that's what everyone would say. They would say like, you're saying what we're all wanting to say, but nobody else will say.
1: Yeah, right. Dude, so I thought you knew Jimmy D and stuff before this. And like I always thought Jimmy D was your like little inside kind of connection. But so did you meet him well, Jimmy, after or
2: No, I I Jimmy was the only one that I knew yeah, um, okay. from racing. Because I, I grew up racing in New England and Jimmy was always at the races. So I knew him um before. And way for everybody
1: listening, we should establish context that Eli is fast as fuck on a dirt bike and a mountain ah, bike and okay, rips yeah. on a snowboard so like but i would say you're way snowboard,
2: up, i'll take snowboarding <laughs> yeah
1: you're you're way 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 above average in moto uh
2: yeah i i uh, thank you <laughs> i liked i definitely always like when i raced i was never that good but i was pretty good and mm. uh I just always stuck with it. Like I've, it it was just, now it's like my outlet. Like it's the thing that I do just to like relieve stress. And so, but it's like, I really wanted to be fast when I was a kid, but I I didn't have a mindset for like actually figuring it out and working hard at it. I was just like, I'm just going to race every weekend. And that's all I did. I didn't even practice. I would, I would pit bike during the week
1: dude and, i can uh, totally just race relate on the weekends <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i i look back now and it's because it it's funny like jiu-jitsu's changed so much of my thinking about um like mindset and training and what being good is and what um because like essentially now right so what you are whether you know it or not and the It's the same with my brother. So my brother had a pro number in Australia. I think he, maybe his best moto finish in like a pro lights moto here was 16th or 17th or something like that. So he was like really, really good and he's rode his Mm -hmm. whole life, but he's not pro. But the thing that I've learned through jujitsu is that there's a bunch of these people out there that are like, they're black belts. And they've done all of this shit throughout years, you know, pr- around about 10 years in jujitsu, And then somebody sort of gives them a black belt as like a recognition of you're a really legitimate jujitsu dude. Like, yeah, you would get fucking <laughs> smoked by the best jujitsu dude in the world. And you're not even close to him. Yeah. But in terms of like the general public of people that step on a dirt bike and don't do this shit for a living you've got a black belt and i feel like my brother's like that as well because you sort of yeah you see those guys and it's like yeah they never there's black belts that don't compete or whatever but they're just like these fucking legit badasses and i feel like if you applied that context to moto it's guys like i'd even met like say myself like i wouldn't say i'm a good black belt but in terms of knowing so much about the sport and doing you know like you you want to say your fucking ten thousand hours or whatever i feel like we're the kind of guys Mm -hmm. that that have that so that's like i'd say that's like how i can equate it now with with the jiu-jitsu thing and i've noticed too like the mindset that i've learned as an older well like in my 30s and now like trying to seriously compete it's like i've just got so much more fucking wisdom i'm like i feel like if i knew this as a kid i probably could have done way better in moto (laughs)
2: yeah i i think that's so much now um when like you, you see these fast kids and it's the kids that really you know there's kids that just get it and that was what always blew my mind when i was younger was like how kids on 50s could have good style yeah, and stuff definitely. and they're then like really know how to do it and I would, I would just be like and i remember dude in 2005 at loretta lens uh tyler bowers was fourteen years old and he won four fifty B, and he was like six oh, two. Yeah, I, you
1: yeah, can't yeah. hear me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's back. Okay. Sweet. um Yeah. I Shit,
2: the... I don't know what happened there. Nah, <laughs> but was it like... was definitely my mic was like geeking out. I could like see everything. Uh, okay. But Is your I could, or I could see red lights flashing, but it seems like it's working now.
1: Is your audio still? I recording? think it
2: just got like disconnected. Yeah. Oh uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. All right, sweet. Yeah, so Tyler Bowers, 62, 14 years old, 450B.
2: Yeah, and he rode like a pro and I was it like blew my mind that this kid was 14 years old and he rode, you know, not only is he winning 450B, which was there's a lot of super fast guys that are like 18 and up, but he hate rode like perfectly. And uh I just always wish that I could go back to take what i know now and and go back to then and be like it's not that mind-blowing he just like has these certain techniques and he knows how his body uh works with the motorcycle and everything and it's like it's like something that i started doing yoga i like rhino i think is like one of the dudes that really knows what he's talking about when it comes to dirt bikes uh and and he kind of i sort of like bought the whole yoga thing from him and I've started doing it. And it really does like apply a lot, I think, to, um, riding a dirt bike, like in just, uh, terms of knowing how to efficiently use your body because it, it requires so much energy that you just, if you know how to efficiently do everything and then that can even be applied to like on the track, uh, just like knowing how to efficiently use lines. Like that's what I think uh poor was so nasty at. Mm. Was just using super efficient lines, and uh not really having to ride super hard. Kevin Windham was crazy good at that, but that's what like I see guys like Justin Barsha, and then I'm like, how does that dude do it? But yeah, that's just same like same
1: as Tomac, just like smashing yeah, right. into every single thing on the track.
2: Yeah, it's and it's just like that's just the style that they develop, and it's like it's because it's all about getting into the flow and and getting into that zone of, I'm not even thinking about if I'm wasting energy or not, I'm just riding the bike.
0: yeah. And I think yeah. that
2: that's just how those dudes have to do it. I definitely know that like Barsha always rode like that. I used to see him cause he was from upstate New York. So I saw him when he was on like sixties and eighties and he always wrote because he was super small. So we rode like a little spaz, yeah. but he was crazy fast. And, uh, but then he just took that twisted style like all the way through. And I remember like, thinking he was never going to be able to ride a 450 like that, but he figured it out. He's like the only guy that can ride the Yamaha in America.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Eh? Yeah, dude, it, you're so right, man. And like even because uh, Moto's such like a, I've actually got a, a guy coming on the podcast after you and his name's Lachlan Giles and he's literally a professor and, but he's one of the best jitsu competitors in the world. And um, he's only 77 kilos and he, Uh, beat these like 130 kilo guys at like the essentially the Olympics of grappling last year Um, but he me and him would always have these interesting conversations because it's real similar in that motocross is such like a heavy skill-based sport as well as like this physically like uh, very demanding and almost like the bigger and stronger you are the better it sort of works but it's like when you've got a body type like i'm not a tyler bowers type of guy neither are you so then you're like okay so if i just put all of my energies into the skills and the technique and the you know like then i don't necessarily need to change my body to be like that tyler bowers sort of type guy Mm -hmm. but then i noticed that as soon as like motocross became fun for me again after doing jiu-jitsu for a couple of years because my body just developed in such a different way than it, than it ever has. And then all of a sudden the writing became like way easier to me. And then I could just stay on the track longer. And then that gave me more time to think mm-hmm. like, Oh, what technique am I doing? What lines am I doing? So it's, there's there's such like a, like you just really have to be this overall G to be good at, at anything I think. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, you really can't neglect just because it's like, oh, it's a skill sport or a, I'm going to, you know, have great technique. It's, you can't neglect the the physical side of it and just because you're physically gifted doesn't mean that you can neglect the, you know, the skill side of it. And it's like, yeah, you really just have to kind of have this, I feel like the people that are really good have these super open minds and will work on like every single part of themselves. <gasps>
2: Yeah, I think that that is something that like that mentality is something that like the elite dudes, like the the guys that are the top 5 guys actually have where like that open-mindedness that's what you said is like they especially like understanding the the bigger scope, the bigger picture mm-hmm. and like and, and I don't know, now I'm talking about like the pro guys, but like just like I don't um Jason Anderson one time said to someone like he, he said, uh, you like not even care. Like you have to, you can't like let that like ego, that ego, I guess, um, mm. really affect you. Cause that's when you start making mistakes. And that's when, especially in supercross like that's when you eat shit. Yeah. And, uh, and it really is like, you just have to, it's so funny. Cause it's one of those things my dad used to say to me on the line of races is like, ride your own race. And when you're a kid, it like, that means nothing to you. Like that, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, and now I'm like, oh my God, like that actually is like the secret is to just like, whatever happens is just like, you just ride your own race. And if you're feeling it that day, you're feeling it. And if you're not, you're not, that's what I think, like, you see Tomac, where he has these like incredible rides and then sixth place rides. And even a lot of the guys have that same deal bag it where it's like, mm. he's the fastest guy on the track or he's, you know, ninth place. And, uh, it's, I think it is just like always going out there and just riding your own race and just finding the flow and finding the pace where you can just really get into the groove.
1: Mm. Yeah. And yeah, you're so right. I eh? like the older that you get. I've been thinking about so much, I guess like, cause I mean, we're the same age, aren't we? Are you 32? Yeah.
2: 32.
1: Yeah. I, I just, I feel like there's just something that happens around that sort of age where you sort of, I don't know, maybe you start figuring some shit out, but yeah, you sort of, you can think about every crash that you've had almost every injury. It just comes down to like, you essentially just being a fucking idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you, yeah, having that ego and having that, you know, point to prove or yeah, it's just like it all like pretty much all of life's fuck ups come out to investing in, in that shit.
2: Yeah, dude. It's, it's always just, you made a mistake or y- yeah, it was like, you can always trace it back to like, damn, I did something wrong right there. And I never like processed that data. When I would race as a kid, Mm. I would just be like, Oh, I crashed. Yeah, whatever. And I always, am like, that's one of the things that I'm like, man, like just figure out what you did wrong right there and don't do it again. And, Mm. but I just didn't think I was just like, Oh, crashing happens. And I just did if you get those people that are like, Oh, if you're not crashing, you're not trying hard enough, which in a sense is true, but it's not like, all right, if you're crashing, figure out why you crashed and don't let it happen again. And that's how you become a better rider. And I didn't understand any of that when I actually raced.
1: (laughs) Yeah, dude, I've I've actually got a a race coming up in two weeks. Um, well, I'm finally, dude, I've been begging people in Australia to run a 30 plus class and, uh, finally we've got a 30 plus race that's happening in a couple weeks so it'd be like dude it'll be my first motocross race since probably fucking surf across in like 2011
2: damn yeah it's such a a game changer when you get to 30 plus because it's like basically beer league motocross Other other than like those certain guys that take it too seriously but for the most part it's like everybody's just out there to have fun i remember that was like I, when, before I was 25, cause you know, we're in America, we have 25 plus class. And so that's like the first vet class. And before I was 25, I was racing the A class and I was like, not liking it. And <laughs> just, yeah, getting, starting to be like, cause that was back when, again, like I didn't know what, how to really get into a flow and, you know, find my groove. So I would just sprint every single race right off the bat and get arm pump inevitably because I was trying too hard and then just like fade. And it was, so racing was like pretty miserable. And, uh, (laughs) and then once I hit the 25 plus class, it was like the pace went way down and it was just like, Oh, okay. I can actually survive these motos. And then you're, like you said before, like once you're on the track long enough and you're not like dying, you can, figure it out and get into the groove and actually find lines and and get faster so then that was like a game changer for me and i started liking racing again and then 30 plus class is like another step of like chill and uh (laughs) it's so it's like super fun now
1: yeah i'm so stoked and you know we've just got all of our boys going it's like uh i think it's like six or seven hour drive for us get to chuck on a sand tire on the 350 and away we go
2: Oh, that does sound so damn fun. Although not six to seven hour drive, but uh it's I can't wait to uh I'm getting a twenty-one three fifty, so I'm really excited to get that
1: thing. Yeah, you've been a three fifty guy for ages, man. As long as I've not, oh, you had an RMZ four fifty and then you got the three fifty. That's ride. right, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I had some Yamaha's and I rode because I rode the RMZ four fifty and that was like that was the last bike that I raced like A class in and stuff. And I didn't like it. And but I didn't know that I didn't like it, you know, but I would yeah. eat shit a lot. <laughs> and they got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm done with four fifties. I re- I was like four fifties are just too much bike for me. I just like yeah, admitted it. I totally agree. And uh, and then so I got a Yamaha two fifty F and then I got the Yamaha um the two stroke two fifty. And then in like 17, I got the 350 because I tried one out and I was like, this bike is perfect.
1: Yeah, dude. I've, I remember doing this surf across when I think it was, what year did they come out? 2012 or 2011? I think it was 12, right? I'm not sure.
2: It would have been around that time. Maybe but, even before that.
1: Yeah. Like I think. Oh seven- no, no,
2: no. It would have been, it was 11. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause I think that's when Alessi wrote it.
1: Yeah, right. So I think whatever season Ty Simmons was over there, he switched to the 450 for outdoors. So there was like this fucking JDR race bike 350 that nobody rode. And I I did a summer on that thing in uh, in the US. And that's actually what got me into surfing because Jared Merrill invited me to do surf across with him. So I was like, well, shit, I need to learn how to surf and I got to get a bike. And I spent the whole summer on that 350, dude. And that was literally the summer of love for me and riding dirt bikes <laughs> again. You know, like, that was my first time riding tracks in California. And to me, as soon as I rode that bike, I was like, oh, this is what it should be like. Mm-hmm. And that it's yeah, like that's, it- that's the way I always wanted to ride a 450. But I just, I was the same thing, like... I just never got along with 450s. I'm like, this is too much for me. I'm not fit enough. Like, I'm kind of scared of the fucking thing. It's just a little bit too fast. It's a bit too hard to stop. It's a bit too hard to turn. Mm. But then the 250F, I did want more than that, you know?
2: Yeah, it was... Really, for me, I think that it was the Suzuki um, was just, like, kind of a a truck of a bike. And, uh, (laughs) like, it was it turned great but at high speed it was so scary and yeah i had no confidence in it whatsoever for whatever reason i got two of them like so i got two in a row <laughs> i don't know why cuz i wasn't even processing i think that i didn't like yeah. the bike cuz i was like yeah. i said i was just like it's just a 450 and uh and in a lot of cases it is just like that's a ton of power um but like then yeah when i got the the 250f I loved it for a while, but then it was. I wanted more power. I had the 252 stroke, and it was like, and then trying the 350, especially because now they're like 50 plus horsepower, so they're like as much horsepower as yeah a as lot a of the other 450s. Yeah, so that they just have such a range on them, so you can ride them like a 250F or a 450. It's kind of like up to you. And, uh, that's what I love about it. Cause I kind of do like to just lug it in a higher gear. And, uh, even though it's, it's faster to ride it in a lower gear, but you can, I'm just like, you know what? Eh, fuck that. I don't, I'll just cruise and, uh, ride, you know, fourth gear, the whole yeah. track.
1: Yeah. And the thing is that with the three fifties man is they do handle like a 250. That's the most important thing. Like, I don't, I always tell people when they ask me about it, because man, so many people ask me about the 350. And it's, I'm like, you've got this sliding scale, and there's 250 on this end and 450 on this end. And it's like, you have to split the, it's not just like a 50 50 in the middle the whole way across the board. It's like, you've got, overall power well yeah it's like up around a 450 and that's like Mm -hmm. which way how do you ride the how do you ride the bike well you could be you could sort of this thing can sort of slide however it wants how does it handle it handles like a 250 so it's like you've got all these sort of little Mm -hmm. sliding scales so it's not directly in the middle because i think a lot of people expect that they're like oh it's just going to be kind of in between the power of a 350 a 250 and a 450 and it'll be like a little bit heavier than a 250 but it's like no it's all the way as good handling as a three as a 250 but the power is this little slider that you can kind of move and you can choose how to ride it and if you want to ride it like a 450 yes it will be slower than a 450 but if you want to ride it like a 250 it will be as fast
2: yeah it's funny that you say like people expect it to be right in the middle because i definitely back in the brodacross days i shit on the 350 so bad when like, it came out <laughs> because really? i was like because i was like that's just a 252 stroke like just get a 252 stroke and um because i was like legit i'm like it's a, a slower 450 okay just get a 252 stroke and uh <laughs> And I thought and, they were, so I really true. did think they were stupid when
1: they came out.
2: <laughs> yeah, but and, you're like uh,
1: American as fuck. <laughs> and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's just like 250, 450 America. <laughs> Fucking, we ain't getting on no Euro shit.
2: It wasn't really like that. I thought the Euros were um, conspiring to make 350s a thing, but it, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was like, I just thought it was pointless. And I'm like this is just another bike to sell us that yeah. people don't really need. But then I'm like, Oh, then I, I tried one out in, in, tw- uh, 2012, I think. And I didn't really like it. But then I, the next one, when I tried it in 17, I was like, Oh my God, this bike is incredible. And now mm. I had the opportunity for a while to get um the 450 but like the 350 is not in right now the 21 and i'm like yeah i'll, I'll wait for the 350 because like the ktm 450 is a great bike like i've ridden them before and you know i'm not like afraid on it like i was on the suzuki yeah but i love yeah that 350 it just feels like such the it's like right in the pocket like the perfect comfort zone bike
1: Oh, right, and that's yeah, 100%. And I know that every single time I go to the track, I'm going to enjoy riding that bike. I'm going to enjoy hitting jumps on the thing. I'm going to enjoy turning mm. the thing. I feel like I can go fast on it. Like, I just, yeah, That there's some days where you go to the track and it just felt like if I wasn't really on my game, then, like, I guess it's like a, the difference between a real good day's ride and a real bad day's riding is, like, there's some room to move there on a 450, but it feels like on a 350, I just know I'm going to enjoy riding every time.
2: Yeah, I would always go to the track and just you know how you have the confidence in the bike that it's yeah. just like, all right, this is going to be basically if I have a bad time, it's like it's on me. And yeah. so the, you know, the bike is is good to go. As you know, as long as it's prepped. I I was lucky I never had any issues uh with my 350 but like you know mechanical issues can definitely fuck up a day
1: yeah yeah, that's true but like man some people ride 450 so sick like my brother just fucking rips on a 450 so hard and man i will say like i put before i got the 350 i had a 2015 honda 450 which is a turd of a motorcycle like that's not a great that's not a great bike that anyone was that stoked on and i will say just putting a lot of time on it like i was sort of going and putting two hours on the bike every time i rode and uh over a couple months i definitely started to get the hang of it to where i even when i was thinking about what new bike to get i like almost considered getting a kdm 450 and then the day the 350 rocked up and i rode it i was just like you made the right choice my friend yeah
2: definitely i think a good i actually like them because they're like a tuned down 450 everybody complains that they're too slow but i was always like that's what i liked about it was that it wasn't too fast because the you know the yamaha and the kawasaki and the suzuki just are they just bark so hard and it's so easy to get whiskey on those and i definitely did a lot
1: (laughs) Yeah, I remember a period, actually, when I was over there where you were getting slapped down a lot.
2: Yeah, dude, when in like 2014, you probably, we were hanging out a decent amount then, I feel yeah. like, and uh, yeah, I broke my collarbone twice that year. I was still riding the Suzuki's then.
1: Yeah, I remember you probably just, yeah, you did, I think you did the right thing getting off those things. <laughs>
2: Yeah. They were, dude, they were rude to me. I, even like the first week I had that bike, the like 2012 Suzuki 450 was the first one I got. And I, uh, like brought it down South cause it was the winter time. And so I was at hog heaven in North Carolina, hog <laughs> heaven MX. And, uh, and I bit the dust and, uh, popped my goggle lens out and it like cut my eye. Oh Yeah. And it was just like such the omen of that bike, but I didn't even, I, I just dealt with the
1: punishment for two years. Dude, I feel like everyone's had a bite like that. When I first went to work for Stroke Magazine in Australia, I was like 18 or 19. And I went down there, and then, and then they were like, yep, yeah, we can get you a project bike. And I was like, dude, it was 08 or, nah, it was like 07 or something like that, or 08. And, um, anyway, the, uh, that was pc just domination ben townley ryan Villapota. i was like i mm-hmm. am getting a fucking kx 250f boy and uh and then i i got that thing and like dude it was when i was doing like decals and like i just had this sickest sticky kid on it and uh i was so hyped on this bike Road honda's my whole life first different thing and then yeah it was just that same deal dude first week i got it uh it, I, it was probably my fault more than the bike to be honest because i would never really lived in a cold climate so i just got this new bike and went out on this like supercross track without really warming it up and then i literally was just trying to double the triple and the thing just went boom and i went over Shut the bars <laughs> and like put my hands out on the double of the triple and broke my arm so then that was like a you know your six week deal and then I got on it, did a couple rides, and the thing just like, I could never get the jetting right. And then my dad and my brother came down to visit me to do this race. And I, uh, we were practicing before it in these sand dunes. And I just went up and did like this kind of high line sand dune sort of turn. And the thing just bogged again. And I just, I went like out and just fucking cartwheeled down this hill, snapped my collarbone so I was just like, this thing's a fucking piece <laughs> of shit, dude. And it was just like omens from the start didn't listen.
2: Yeah, it was like, I was lucky that I didn't actually, other than, you know, 2014, I broke my collarbone twice. The only bone I've ever broken is my collarbone, my left collarbone, but I've done it five <laughs> times. <laughs> but and, uh so like, I was lucky in that I didn't usually get, Like that hurt, but I definitely hit my head a couple of times and would just like get thrashed. I I have like hip hip dysplasia or something. I don't know. It's not like diagnosed. It's diagnosed by WebMD. But (laughs) I uh, (laughs) I definitely like ate some shit on the uh, Suzuki 450. Not that I didn't eat shit on other bikes too. Even the Yamaha 250F, dude. That was like I had a crash on that in 2015, and I was like that was like what made me question what i was doing i was just like dude what how are you eating shit like
1: this still dude all my crashes like i get hurt bad of just small crashes i just feel like i'm a fucking awkward cunt or something man because like i don't <laughs> like i don't really have like big crashes i mean i had one my last like big scary one that i well i broke my wrist but for how big it was we got like this i don't know if you've ever seen but we got that fucking our own screaming eagle it's a 2012 crf 450 frame and me and my dad have put a 1998 cr250 motor in it and uh dude oh i
2: do think i know what you're talking about yeah
1: that bike's fucking mint bro and uh but when we we first did it we were like this thing's gonna blow up for sure so just go ride it and then we'll pull it apart and we'll make it nice once you blow it up and this thing just fucking went forever eh? And, uh, so I just had this like half built piece of shit for ages, but it was so fun. I just didn't want to stop riding it. And, uh, anyway, one day we were riding, my mates just got this grass track and I was fourth gear wide open. And then I just like went off the throttle to hit, hit the brakes and, uh, the, the slide in the carby just like stuck open. And, uh, so this thing was just stuck wedge and it had no clutch. I pulled the clutch in and this thing just, <laughs> and, uh, so that I've, I ended up, I was just going straight to this fence. There's like no runway. I was like, this is fi-. Like I'm fucking cartwheeling here. So I ended up tucking, I, I tucked the front, hit the back brakes and then low side of this thing. I just slid for probably like 45, 50 yards. The grass was wet. And this thing just picked up and just end for end and i just fucking wrote this thing off and it's that was we got it going after that and then it finally did blow up and we're literally we're gonna rebuild the motor this weekend
2: oh uh, that's like hitting me hard right now because i blew up my 250 like this not this past week the weekend before that
1: oh really
2: yeah so I'm, i don't even have a bike right now so I'll probably start BrotoCross again or something because I'm frustrated.
1: <laughs> yeah. So where did we get to in the in the BrotoCross talk? Uh,
2: like. Well, wait, wait. So what? So what did were Ping?
1: We? What did Ping repo Like, what was the story that Ping first reposted that got that attention?
2: Uh, <laughs> it was definitely like one of the like the salutes because i did the salute maybe it was like the salute to moto hose or something like that dude but, maybe that uh, was it
1: can you pull can that you pull was definitely up one read, of the
2: first ones
1: could you pull like something dope like one of the good ones up and just read it because like i i just don't know how many people in australia I... would have been across bro to cross probably see. fucking probably heaps to be honest
2: It sucks because I don't have the um, URL anymore and oh, some nice. kid actually bought it. Some kid actually bought it from under me and uses it as like, but he, it's like a wicked lame version. Like he doesn't actually use it as like, he doesn't have a take on anything. It's just like a, he uses it as like a fanstagram, oh, like a repost page. Dude. And uh, yeah, dude, I, I mean, totally my fault. I completely let that happen. And yeah. Fucking- uh,
1: you but idiot! I want to slap it, you. For I, so I idiot. actually,
2: I actually lost access to a lot of the articles, but like, they still, they still exist, and it, and it's not like this kid has them, so it's not like he can steal them. But I just can't get to them, so I haven't really looked into how to recover everything. Yeah, right. It, it's it, it's something that. I definitely, it's on, like, the the to-do list, but it's, like, it's going to be a thing for me, so I'm, like, I'm just too fucking lazy
1: to do it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, this is turning into a thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, dude, it's, I swear, as I get older, I'm just, like, I can't just, especially, like, this year, just can't deal with stuff. (laughs) And so I'm just, like, you know what, I'm just going to put that on the back burner, and I just, so it's, like, my back burner is just loaded with so much
1: shit now. That's fucking funny. Your backbone is going to be a bonfire soon.
2: (laughs) Dude, yeah, it's going to be a problem.
1: So, can you get any of them articles up?
2: (sighs) I can get so, like, because before I had brotocross.com, it was on Blogger. So it was just like Blogspot. So, all the the ones that were before, so like, yeah, it goes till June 2011.
1: I have. What's one of the ones on there that's a good one? Because I I think we got to give people a little taste.
2: All right, so the the one that I think was my favorite of all uh, of like this era was um, the how to get kicked out of a national and sneak back in when I got kicked out of Unadilla. <laughs> yeah, all right, Let's. Get and because uh, <laughs> that was like, I I was already fairly like known at that point, but um, it was. It was just such a bunch of bullshit that I got kicked out of the race in, a, in the first place.
1: Yeah. So I was we'll, doing a wheelie on a pit bike and style.
2: They, they were like, all right, you're out of here.
1: You're done. cunt." Yeah. I want to, I gotta, we gotta give him a little bit of a, a little bit of context as just to the, the pure brilliance of Brode across. Yeah. If I can find it. Who was it that actually kicked you out? It was just one of the guys
2: at, um, that was like working at the track. Cause I was in the pro pits because I was with uh, a bunch of my friends. And so they were like, we, we were just kind of, or sorry, I'm not the pro pits, the amateur pits. And so we were just like drinking some beers and we all had pit bikes and, we were just doing, we, we weren't being hooligans. We were just doing wheelies and uh, not even really like dangerous. We were going super slow, like first gear wheelies. But it was, uh, once they saw us, they were just like, all right. They, they singled me out and they were like, you're out of here.
1: Did they know? And it was you? Uh, so then,
2: no, they didn't know anything about um Brodo Cross or anything like that. They just kicked me out. And then I, Cause I had gone with all my friends and they didn't kick them out. And like we, I was staying in their motor home and everything. Mm. And I, so I was like, I have to sneak back in like that. I have no other choice. And so I just like, cause Unadilla is on a huge piece of property or, and it's right next to like these huge, like sprawling fields. yeah, And uh, so I, just like walked the like the super long way all the way around, like around the amateur track and everything. And then finally uh like got to the amateur pits and then just changed my clothes. And <laughs> I had another credential cause they ripped my, not like credential, they ripped my wristband and I oh, just happened yeah. to have an extra one. And yeah, so I just right. threw that one on and I was just good to go. Fucking hell. You're gonna be pissed at me though i can't find this article now
1: ah that's all good but um no nah, i just there was just some fucking, the the crazy ones too were just like how ruthless you were about like the monster girls and like the promo chicks and what was the what was the one with tickle where like you were called you, there was like something where you were like gnarly with tickle and his misses or something like that
2: it was just the no so like i this is like the thing that I hate talking about because like in the context of today's society
1: yeah, it makes enough. me
2: fair like sound like a piece of shit but it was comedy it, it was comedy was, it wasn't like it so wasn't so like Racer X Racer X used to do the fan of the week and it was always a check and yeah, that's right so I I would just do rating the Racer X fan of the week and it was like it was just supposed to be funny that was like <laughs> but it just got taken like and obviously people would take it personally and it was just like um so you know and a, a lot of people didn't like chick i just said chickle tickles chick um <laughs> who everybody calls chickle uh she was cool about it and and brock was cool about it but like there was definitely other people that got offended for you know literally just thinking that, that they're being made fun of yeah and uh And so they're just like, Oh, well you can't like, I'm like, I didn't say anything bad about you. But then the, so the issue was I actually had a friend, the only person I ever let write, write for Brotocross. um, He was like, wanted to write the fan of the week ratings. And he, I thought he was funny. So I was like, yeah, sure you can do it. And he um, just like, he eviscerated the girls and I know this sounds like a cop out on my part, but like this really is what happened because at first like Davy Coombs, he like gave me when he found out what Brotocross was, he gave me his blessing. He was just like that. I think the rating, the fan of the week is funny. And then after I let my friend do it for a little while, he got in touch again and he was like, Hey, this needs to stop. And, um, and I even had other people tell me that. And so I actually did like stop it then. So that was the end of it. Cause I was like, I definitely knew that what he was writing was like pretty ruthless, but I didn't also know that was it wasn't like, oh, you. It's pretty funny. A lot of people didn't like, even though it was there, like it was, you yeah. know, the writer was a different writer. Um, they, a lot of people thought that I wrote it. And so I would get people talking to me and I would be like, yeah, I didn't mm. write that. Like I posted it. Yeah. I, I definitely like own up to posting it on my website, but I was like, if you got a problem with, whatever that take is you got to talk to the other writer yeah and uh but yeah mad people thought that it was me but after after Davey was like it has to stop now um
1: you're like it was
2: like the next week or something his daughter who's like a little girl so I would never let anything like bad be like go up about like a, a little girl but his daughter was the fan of the week like the week after he said that (laughs) <laughs> and so I was like okay like message received and uh, but I was like I can't believe you would even think that I would let you know, like cuz at that point Davey like we didn't have a relationship but we had you know he knew who I was and we had spoken yeah. before so I was like you know that I'm a normal person and I wouldn't let um something you know like really terrible be said about a little girl on the website.
1: Yeah. Have you got a lot in your room or what?
2: I was just going to say am I getting super dark here? Yeah.
1: Yeah, is that better? better? Or yeah. is that like blown out? No, no, that's better. That's all good. Um, okay. Yeah, dude, I fucking, I had some shit with, uh, I posted a clip from the Stephen Gaul podcast the other week and it was about like the Stuarts and it just had, and it's fucking clickbait. Like, well, people, I wish people could understand that in order for me to have a fucking business in terms of like making money on YouTube, I have to write shit that gets a click-through rate above 11 percent like that's just like some hard facts about my fucking job as a creator on the internet and like so i got i got shit i posted this thing like the title was uh i didn't get shit Just people fucking making comments but um i wrote i was warned and it was like golly with stewart and he was just telling this story of how he basically went to work with James. It was before he hired Alden. And then basically James just like didn't really want to train. And Gawley could see that, you know, he sort of wanted just to have fun. So they started doing like jet ski motos. And like that was that era, you know. And it was before Mm -hmm. Alden started working with James. And he just said like he was lazy, didn't want to work, blah, 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 blah. And then like fucking all these people have just taken like mad offense to it and been like, why are you posting that and trying to take advantage of Stuart? I'm like, dude, I'm not going to censor my guess. A like, and say, Oh, you can't talk about James Stewart. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. It's like, that's a man's personal experience with a guy. And like, that is his experience. I'm not going to call a guest a liar. I know fucking James. And I know that like, I've been there and I've seen the amount of laps that he's done. Like I've been on the receiving end of that a few times, but it's like, yeah <laughs> this this isn't like a personal thing, and this isn't some kind of i I don't know people just got really fucking upset about it, and I just I don't know and I feel like I've made it well, that's probably the problem is that there are people that are clicking on that video for the first time with no context, I guess, but mm-hmm. it's like I'll be fucking clear right now. James Stewart is like a god to me, yeah. <laughs> point blank right i fucking i'm lucky enough to personally know him at one point i would have said we're friends i haven't spoke to him for a very long time so i feel like you can't really claim being friends with someone you haven't spoke to but at one point the guy was my friend and we'd text each other back and forth. i've spent like a lot of time at their house i've spent so much time with the family in general they're all great people but it's like just because you like your job is to make content on the internet, it's like fuck. It is what it is.
2: Yeah, definitely. It was like um, when I had the website. It was that was something that I was didn't didn't go into it um, with that intention of like oh I need to get people clicking on stuff.
0: Yeah. But then but that's the I definitely
2: as it got popular, it was, that became important to me. And so I was like, all right, what, I really started, you know, tracking what people liked and what people didn't like and trying to really hone everything. And I think I did. Like, I think that Mm. the content was, and I mean, it was getting, I think at the peak, it was wrote was getting like 20,000 hits a day. So it was, yeah. For, you know, just for like a shitty little motocross blog, like it was, it was, it was pretty good. And like I said, it was, I think it was the most popular blog in motocross ever, which is, you know, a super tiny niche, but it was like my claim to fame, mm. uh, at least in the moto space at that point. And then it got me to like, th- it, it was basically a stepping stone to get me to where I am now. Yeah, Like it was, I had, you know, I went to, cause I went to college for business. Like I didn't intend to, be a writer at all and then wor- work in media at all like i didn't think that that was going to be my thing and it was you know doing Brotocross was what mm-hmm. actually opened all that up for me
1: yeah and it's crazy too like our generation and i feel like whether with me you wes all these guys that we would kind of hang out with danny stew it's like we never mm-hmm. i don't think any of us ever really were like i'm gonna make moto movies i'm gonna make a blog i'm gonna do that it was just you just become this like student of the game and you want to stay in the game of Mm. motocross as long as possible so you just do whatever the fuck it takes to maintain this like ideal vision of i could be in the industry and i could like just ride dirt bikes essentially and get free gear like i just feel like that's how everything starts that's probably one of the reasons the industry kind of sucks in a lot of ways too is because there's like a never-ending stream of kids that will do shit for free fucking free gear but it's like I can't really mm-hmm. hate it. I was that kid um but yeah it's like it's crazy the that if you stick to something and like try to like you said it's a niche but it's like you did carve out a niche so you kind of stick around and then now like I would have never thought even when I left the US I wouldn't have thought I'd have a podcast like that would have been the last thing I ever thought I would have done <sighs>
2: Yeah. It's like, it, you don't go into it with, um, uh, any intention of it being like your thing and you just, you're just kind of drawn into it. Like you, you mentioned Danny Stew and we, Danny Stewart, um, who he's talking about folks listening, yeah. but, uh, it's, uh, he, so Danny Stew is a moto videographer from the Northeast who I grew up with. Um, probably my best friend. And so we, uh, would make videos like back in the day, like.
1: I think your mic's tripping again. (laughs) Yo. Yeah. I think you're back.
2: It's. Is it
1: good? Yeah. It seems yeah. good over here. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, so back in the day, you were making movies called Backyard...
2: Backyard Bikers, yeah. And uh, we would... <laughs> it was just like a pit bike videos um, that we would make with our buddy Adam. And uh, that was like... I didn't even think of that as like making videos. I was just like, I've watched a ton of moto videos. And so now we're just like putting something together that we can all watch together. Yeah. And, uh, but like we actually put effort into it and they were like, they weren't good. They were terrible. But like they had these touches that I was, that even still today I could, I haven't watched any of those videos in a long time, but even today I could, I remember them and I'm like, yeah, that was actually like, we had, um, something some good touches in there because we cared about it so much and we was like that was we you know we're every single day after school it was either like pit bikes or or playing mx unleashed or watching moto videos or all three and so that was just like life and that's like we were just drawn into and it's i think it's so funny that now danny's like uh you know a pretty Accomplished videographer and like yeah, pretty 100%. known in the industry, and then I became like the I was writing, and then now um, producing at Red Bull, and like we actually work together on a lot of stuff at Red Bull. So we, it's like kind of come full circle, like we're making making videos uh, again, but just on a way bigger scale.
1: Yeah, man, it was crazy that our crew from I don't know maybe like 2014. 2014- onwards to sort of present it was fucking insane to watch like the you know the stuff that me and Wes did with jdr and like the mm-hmm. scale that we we're able to do stuff on there and then the verb stuff and then to start doing you know from Spy what that was in its first season to what Spy mm-hmm. is now like essentially wes and danny and the boys are making like a netflix level production show that comes out every two weeks and like, fuck man. It's, mm-hmm. And that it's just the same crew. It's the same. It's all the I same know, yeah. dudes. It's,
2: it's, I think the same thing when I watch, when I see motospy now and I'm like, it's, it, it really is like Netflix quality stuff pretty mm-hmm. much. And it comes out, like you said, in two weeks after the races, basically. And, it's it's like wes and his crew and you know all the guys crane and danny and uh will editing the stuff like they're all so um good and it's and i'm like it's crazy because they don't they just seem like like you're saying the crew they just seem like the boys and yeah that's uh, just
1: the old school dudes that we like literally like you said it starts at the backyard films and for wes it's goat creations and for me it's mx daily mm -hmm and then you just over time you you're doing the same thing but you just reach this crazy point where you just have to be like what
2: yeah i know i'm just i see like other crews in like doing like projects at red bull or something and they it it, they you know they come off as so professional that you're just like whoa these guys got to be like crazy legit and then the, the end product, you're just like, wait, like our like Wes's stuff blows this shit out of the water. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, it always makes me feel so good if I'm ever like, damn, man, maybe I'm just like not professional enough for something. And then I'm just like, oh wait, we already make the, the best videos. So, you know, fuck professionalism. It's fake.
1: Dude, we had a loose ass crew in america like there was some time
2: <laughs> yeah in those days
1: like yeah especially in the early days like i had no idea that that much work could get done and you could just be that fucking loose to do it and some are just like i look back now at some of the shit we do and it was cool talking to wes and and um and bren on the podcast but it's like we were just out of control kids that were making like way too much money essentially and it's like none of it really was left at the end of any of these projects because it was <laughs> you know what i mean like it, very inefficient yeah. very unprofessional and uh and yeah like it, it this work would get done that was always just so good and i remember i remember doing edits like when i did the eastbound and down um thing with barryman and walters and yeah, yeah. i made the fucking edit in that van and it was like go to jail fucking go here yeah. go there, like, <laughs> and then the there's when the deadline like when we said we'd have the video done it was like this fucking dope video the music was sick you put it on verb it's getting like hundred thousand views and you're just like yeah we barely pulled this off and it is now just like no one would ever really understand like the weirdness that went into making that thing happen
2: yeah we were definitely a loose crew and it was like that because that i still was you know in the Brotocross cross days then and so i like kind of yeah really embraced like my status as like the dude who didn't hold back at all and i kind of like wanted that to bleed into like my party life or something <laughs> i don't know like being a stupid kid and you
1: gotta do about it. i was it, such a uh, fucking idiot back then dude like it's, it's, it's yeah it's, uh-huh. it's so <laughs> it's so part of it i look back now like oh fuck if i had to stand behind myself at some of those parties back then i would cringe at the dude i was
2: oh yeah i still like have memories where i'm just if they like come up at all i'm just like oh god and um but yeah i think you're right you got to do it and you just got to get through it and be like oh that was stupid and i'm not gonna do that again it's kind of like crashing you're like it's that's like crashing (laughs) in life
1: yeah, but the like, the at the end of the day the work was just always so good and just gets like now they just I mean I, it's different now like everyone's a lot older but I mean I still the deadlines that those guys hit and the creativity and the skill like even just man I just wish people could understand like Wes's skill on a camera at just pulling focus and like we would shoot mm-hmm. with there were days where we'd shoot at the bakery with like Cincerello and Roxanne and Anderson. And we're just, we're on these insane lenses. And we've got, we've got 20 minutes with the best Supercross riders in the world to do this video. And like, we are risking it on these shots that are just almost impossible to get. And we're just, we spend 20 minutes doing these like insane focus pulls and these, crazy camera movements and like i even just look at that and i'm like dude i like it was just insane the level of shit we even thought we could kind of pull off if that made sense Mm -hmm.
2: i think that's part of what makes like for whatever reason moto filmers I i think probably because especially when you're filming like pro guys that are doing motos and they don't give a fuck that you're out there. They're not out there to get shots. They're out there to do their motos, but like you still have to go get the shots. Yeah. And I think that that makes it so like, you just have to develop the It's like sink or swim. Like you have to develop the skill. And uh, that's part of what has made like all, all of you guys, like all you, I, I don't do any camera stuff, but like all you guys like Wes and, um, even will and Kyle Cowling and Danny Stew uh, and crane, Crane, like just, just having needing to be able to do it in this short amount of time. Um, just makes it. the urgency makes you good.
1: Yeah. And man, I used to think about, it was kind of almost like doing a race. Like you just get into this flow state with it because I remember, Mm -hmm. man, I used to get nervous to film, like i was doing a race and i remember like it was the same sort of anxiety that you would get about um about yeah doing a race or a big meeting or anything like that and you'd find all these excuses in your head why you probably shouldn't do it and then it's like just play it safe today like just make sure you get your shots and then as soon as you get out there you got your wide lens on for like three corners and you're like fuck that noise give me the longest biggest craziest lens and let's just get the weirdest fucking shit possible and yeah. you know like all that anxiety just goes away and then i every time we shot man me and wes and it was the same for both of us every time and we'd like leave alden's and we'd be driving back to the airbnb and Wes is like, oh man, how do you feel about your shots? Like, are you, do you think you got anything? I'm like, fuck, dude, I don't know. And we'd both just, every single time, we'd both just <laughs> be playing it down. And then you get back in and you're just like, holy fuck, dude. Like, we were risking it.
2: Yeah, it's having been there when, like, you guys look at your shots from the day, like, look at the dailies, it's in seeing the satisfaction that, like, kind of. I can live vicariously a little bit through that of just like, oh man, yeah. I can sort of relate. Like I watched that go down. Like I know what a little bit of what goes into getting those shots. And uh, so like when work out, cause they don't always work out. Right. And so when, when you get one, it's um, it's like, when you just like absolutely grease a turn or like hit a jump perfectly or something and you just get that. Ah, yes. Like that is the dopamine right there
1: yeah where does where does moto Spy rank in terms of just like uh the i don't even know how you'd say it but like i don't know the content that red bull pulls pull uh, puts out where does MotoSpy rank in terms of like um fuck, you know what i'm trying to say
2: in terms of like the con like in terms of views do you mean or like
1: just in terms of like a. pro like- just like a a top shelf series, like the Red Bull C Moto Spies, like this is some of our premium, premium content.
2: Yeah, it definitely gets like talked about internally as one of the best um, pieces of content that Red Bull has, especially a series. Because, you know, like a series to any, um... sorry, that just activated Siri on my phone. (laughs) Um, But uh, to any, you know, like, media producer if they have serial content it's just going to have more value because they can put out a lot of it yeah. and get more and more uh, views on it so that's super important to red bull and Motospy is like one of the best performing series so it's definitely like up there as some of the premium content do i need to turn on a light yeah right like here you. hang on let me turn
1: one on oh gee bruh Oh, there he is. I've been kind of like
2: worried about it this whole time. I'm like, dude, I'm it's getting dark and I look like an idiot right now. I look like one of those guys that makes videos in his basement.
1: Yeah, you're like uh you're you're like, you know what you looked like? You looked like a guy that reviews Alex Jones's content. And puts yeah, exactly. it up on YouTube. right.
2: <laughs> Posts like Alex Jones reaction content. Yeah.
1: that was huge just (laughs) now
2: with like a and it's
1: like you can barely make out your antifa flag in the background
2: yeah right (laughs) there's just it it would have to be like a way low angle though like this like
1: down here oh that's fucking funny yeah the man the moto spy stuff i know that over here um it's a lot of people talk about like it's got a huge impact over here a lot of people watch it religiously i think it's man it's grown to be something like super special and like fuck just so necessary man it's just crazy that you know all powder fell, they're they're not uh you know what i mean they've got like a bunch of shit going on but it's like to really have a team that is just so core cool moto and so just knows these guys has the access and with wes's background at, at verb he's known these guys that are in the premier class right now like since they're five mm. years old you know like Wes has filmed AC since he was on a 50 and that is just shit that like you can't buy that I mean you can buy it worse obviously but as Feld it's like you can't yeah. you know what I mean you can't throw money at that and get any director to do it like there's one dude that could pull that sort of shit off
2: yeah exactly you hit it right on the head it's like Wes has been doing this for so long and he know he's known all of those dudes since they were legit on fifties and sixties. And so those relationships are all just paying off so much for him. And it's like you said, our whole crew is such core moto. Yeah. You can't, you could go get, You know Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese to try to make some Moto, they would probably be dope, honestly, but they (laughs) (laughs) they wouldn't have the the insight and the know how that we have. I know that before I've worked with um, like producers and um, videographers who weren't from Moto, like, and had them filming Moto stuff, and they just don't quite get it. Like, they don't know what looks cool. They don't know what everybody else thinks looks cool. And uh, so it was, I remember like doing a video with Red Bull. It was like a straight rhythm video back in 2016 with Behrman and Durham. And mm-hmm. uh, I got this dude to, to do it. It was based on like a snowboard concept that I had seen. So I actually got the guy who made the snowboard video, this super talented dude uh, and uh, named shit. I don't remember his name, Mike something. And uh, sorry, Mike. And but, like, when I saw the edit, I was just like, oh, dude, like, you need, like, this moment and this moment and mm. uh, just, like, things that are – it was just, like, it misses the mark on certain stuff. And so I actually had to get um, another great moto filmer, Ryan Walters, to come in and uh, edit it because he actually had had filmed it with the dude. And so Walt came in and uh, edited it and, like, we, like, basically just had to completely redo it um, mm. just because, you know, like I said, the guy that did it was – is was super talented and it was nothing like blatantly wrong he just didn't have the eye for it
1: yeah yeah you could just tell it was just like a tiny bit off
2: yeah right it just didn't have that like that special sauce on it that like only a moto guy is gonna know how to do that
1: yeah uh, what's what was the conversations too like around um swearing and stuff in it with like the with moto spy and like actually being allowed to kind of keep some of that shit in and not fully water it down because there's definitely a bit of a change in the guard happening on that front too which i think is important
2: yeah it was like because it doesn't really like they didn't really care about swearing or anything but the it was just certain things that they're like even just in terms of what you could show the athletes doing um and just they kind of wanted their athletes to be regarded as superheroes all the time yeah and with MotoSpy, one of the things was like, like this really has to like bring these guys down to a, a level of like these are our people. They're not superheroes. They just happen to have an elite talent at this at this thing. But like yeah. they're they're dealing with real problems that like a lot of other people could empathize with, and that's what makes the content so engaging. Because it's not like there's a tough like like extra like do anything like super over the top with moto spy. I mean, Mm. there is like the filming is obviously great. Like it's, it's definitely top tier, but, um, it's in terms of like what we're showing, it's like, you know, it's a lot of test track footage and, you know, races that people have already seen, but it's just when you're building these characters and actually, um, engaging people with them, then seeing them, um, on the track, like has that another layer, um, just
1: uh you're like invested something
2: that people can connect with yeah yeah
1: -hmm. yeah and i think like with the there's definitely this thing too with like the whole swearing like obviously we swear on here and it's like sometimes a bit of a criticism but i just don't think people understand that when you restrict like like everybody cusses a lot it just is what it is like that's part of being an adult in 2020. So if you, if anyone wants to think that, uh, you know, these guys sort of don't like, there's guys that don't like Dunge and Osborne and stuff like that. But I mean, for the most part, they're all letting it yeah. rip. And when you take that away, you, like, it's what you said about Brodercross you had no filter. People knew, like people can resonate instantly because they're like, this dude's saying exactly what the fuck he wants to say. Like, I'm seeing the real him. So that is Mm -hmm. super appealing to people. And then I think that, you know, that's one of my things with this is like, I would, I encourage people to swear because it instantly puts them in the frame of mind of like, Oh, I can be myself. Like there's no person that has to act as a filter to, you know, kind of control what gets said. And then it just lets people be so much more in the moment and real about what they're saying. And then that, comes across to the person that that's listening as well so i think yeah there's just like a bunch of these things that moto Supply is doing really well on like and it's just like those small details you know
2: yeah i mean even even showing like competition and like you know monster riders like um tomac or sincerillo or rockstar guys like yeah um, osborne and hampshire it's like if you just don't acknowledge that they're there, then the audience is going to already, they already are like not trusting you because Mm. they're like, I know those guys are there and I, and I know why you're not showing them. It's not like it's, it's not like it's a secret. They're like, Oh, they're not showing the monster or rock star guys. Mm. And, uh, so then when we do, then they're kind of like, Oh, okay. I can actually trust that I'm going to get like the real story here. Mm. Um, and that I think that's a huge part of the success of Motospy is that because it's it really essential that people feel like it is the truth that it's like the real story, and uh, that it's not sugar coated at all, mm. and and you know that was kind of the argument. It like at Red Bull was just like you know hey yeah we know we're showing logos that we don't want to show but it's really important that the audience can trust us like as um red bull to put out the content that is true to them Mm. and true to the sport
1: yeah and i just think that there's a level in which the consumer these days is just so switched on like we our generation if you think about it from the time we were toddlers we have been fucking pumped with marketing to the point where yeah we've got a really, really, really good gauge of, wait a minute, am I being fucking, am I just being sold to right now? And it's like, I think that's why the whole, and it always eats itself. It's always like this kind of thing that goes around because it's like, that's why I feel like influencers become so influential. It's because you're like, oh, you're not trying Mm -hmm. to sell me something. You're just this guy that's got a podcast that tells me how to, you know what you're using and i trust you so i'm going to use it because it's not an ad but now we're getting into the deep dark depths of like influencers really selling and then there's going to be a new thing that comes out of that now to where it's like okay so who's the new person that's like not selling me that i can buy from like i guess people always want to buy from people that aren't trying to sell to them
2: yeah, exactly. I think the second that you realize that somebody is trying to sell you something, then you're you're gonna tune out.
1: Hmm. And
2: uh, I know I do. Like any time, like if I'm going like anywhere, like going into a car dealership or something, I just can't deal with salesmen. And uh, so, because it's like you just can't trust them at all. Actually, I so I was on a plane uh, one time, and this old guy was sitting next to me, like probably in his 70s, like nice looking old guy, and he's talking to me. And I usually don't like to talk to people, but like this dude was being really friendly. And so I was like, okay, fine. I'll talk to this guy. And he's just, you know, asking me questions and he was actually really nice. And then we talked like the whole flight. And then at the end, like we're getting ready, like into the final descent. And he's like, starts asking me, like if I've thought about where I'm going to spend eternity and all these religious questions. And I was like, dude like i felt so betrayed because i was like i can't <laughs> trust any any of this endearing conversation that we had before this could have just not. been lead up for you to sell me on your religion so i'm like i don't i can't like this was all trash to me now it i was so play. bummed out yeah like i was I'm, I'm never gonna be able to yeah i'm never gonna be able to trust like an old uh nice person again
1: that's so funny dude was it it was me and you that we we were doing mushrooms on the way back from Austin on that flight, right? Uh,
2: I think we had some edibles, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, I had. I don't know I if had, we had mushrooms, dude. I had mushrooms with um, fucking uh, Natasha. That's right on the way back. I remember, oh, dude. Yeah. That Austin weekend was so fun, man.
2: That's one of my favorite trips I've ever had. I think
1: still to that to this day that weekend.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, I, we had a blast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, that was such a fun weekend. But I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure actually it was the first time I edi- ever did edibles on a plane was flying to Austin. And it was a really great experience. I remember music sounding so fucking good on that flight. I must have just had like the Goldilocks amount.
2: Yeah, I remember I had a bunch of the, I had like chocolate covered espresso beans in there, yes. and there was THC in them, and yeah. uh, those were, yeah, I I love those things because you get like the um, caffeine boost, but also the THC, and uh, though yeah they put you right in a good place, and they definitely <laughs> were key that weekend, like because you know making it through the day with the hangovers, I de- I needed the edibles
1: to keep Dude, me going. Yeah, I was pretty much like I was pretty much in some way intoxicated for that entire four days
2: yeah definitely like it was a quite a marathon uh, but <laughs> it was so much fun that like i didn't want to stop
1: yeah that was a that was a solid little weekend that one i don't i, I remember going there and basically not watching any of the MotoGP gp at all i didn't go in the pits i did literally nothing
2: I didn't go into the pits at all. I remember, but I I watched the race like wh- or what I could of it, like because you know we were in the box and you just see them go down the start this straight, starts, right? yeah. and then you're just watching on TV after that. And uh, I I tried to go around to like um, other parts of the track for practice to see it, but it was kind of a mission, and I didn't have a scooter or anything, so I was like, oh, I'm just gonna go back to the to the comfy
1: box. Dude, imagine how fun that weekend was and then think about how sick it would have been like Nikki Hayden Laguna Seca days. Like some of the stories that you hear from the boys talking about those weekends, like if we had that much fun at Austin kind of late into the 20, mm-hmm. you know, 2020 decade, uh imagine what it would have been in like the first decade of the 2000s.
2: Yeah, dude, I can't even really imagine. Even just hearing like the uh, OG, like Red Bull days when there was just like nobody um, kept like literally any, no budget, like ties on the budget. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like, all right, here you go, and they wanted it. They're like, we're the we're the cool energy drink brand, so we're just gonna fucking, you know, throw it all at uh, this huge party. And there, the stories that I've heard from people, you know even outside of the company just like riders from back in the day and stuff they sound pretty legendary
1: yeah dude i've thought about like we definitely had some really good times but it's like man imagine if we were just a few years earlier there was probably some like way crazy shit going down
2: i feel like that's what every generation probably thinks though it's just like oh man we were just because like there's always like something that happened right before because like there's always just like rules get tighter and tighter so like back in the day they were just less rules and it was it would everybody thinks like man that would have been sick to just do this with like fewer restrictions
1: yeah i just feel like there's there's definitely a point in all of the sports where it's like it goes it's kind of underground and the guys aren't making that much money and it's like it's fun but you know Mm -hmm. you kind of then you get like the you get that goldilocks zone and then it's just like peak and that would have been you know 2003 2002 2003 2004 for moto probably oh nah probably like 06, 07, 08, maybe wonder if that's like peak peak moto and then and then like you said there's the rules come in because it's like there's no rules and then it gets to the point where it's like there's peak no rules and the peak no rules normally coincides with like peak money and then as soon as like peak money gets involved then it's like okay we need to fucking level this shit out otherwise this is gonna be a, a one and done
2: yeah i think that like you're saying like in the early days it's always just like and then it, it becomes popular so like it became popular in the 90s and so dudes started making money and so there's just this like one window of time when dudes are actually making money and um, but it's all still cool and, like, not really, like, taken over by big corporations. And yeah. then once, you know, like, once, that's, like, I feel like that's what happened with Freestyle and the X Games and shit. Like, it was. Yes. Cool in the 90s. And dudes started making money and it was still cool for a little while. And then it beat, like. The, Cause the reason that they're making money is because companies are getting involved and they want to associate themselves with this cool thing. And then the companies start putting too many restrictions on yeah. um, the guys that they're sponsoring and it just points the whole sport down. And then you're just kind of left with, and then they, then the sponsors move on. Yeah. You got the fucking ashes just sitting there afterwards.
1: Yeah, and it's like the people, I kind of get it too, because it's like you're sort of doing this thing and you're cool as fuck and you're making, you're probably making more money than you ever thought you would. And then the big companies come along, and then that, you know, the first couple years, they're like, we get it. You're the crazy dudes. Like, yeah, this is cool. You're getting the big checks. And then it's like, okay, man, we've been paying you these big checks for a few years now. And if you want to keep them coming, we're probably going to need you to fall in line a little bit. We're probably going to need this. And then it just becomes like super transactional, I guess. Like you'd say that the companies would be the ones that had more of the power over the, you know, the individuals as, you know, the longer that the company roots are there or like the corporate roots.
2: Yeah, because like the things, the things all grow when I say things like the sports, like grow without the companies. And so they grow on their own and then the companies like kind of dig into them and, you know, they're paying for it. So they feel like they should have influence, you know, rightfully so. And, but then their influence is toxic and that just, um, pulls the sport away from what it was when they, what, what, or what it was, sorry, what was created without them that they, the companies wanted to get involved in.
1: Yeah. 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 hundred percent. And then like, we all get used to this money and it's like, well yeah i guess you know what's cooler than being cool <laughs> fucking cash
2: yeah getting paid <laughs> and it's like then <laughs> you that's get a, what yeah
1: then you get a lifestyle and then you realize that you can't do it forever too i think that's like the other big distinction is it's like you've got a pretty finite window in a lot of these sports where it's like you can kind of get in make your money and get out and that's like any sport unless you're like a michael jordan or a ricky carmichael or a you know, Tiger Woods, you've kind of got like that legacy money, but there's not that many people like David Millsaps don't have legacy money.
2: Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's when you understand where these riders are coming from when they're like, yeah, kind of standoffish about whatever contract negotiations or anything. Cause it's like, yeah, they're it's your career is super limited anyway in any sport. And in motocross, you're always running the risk of it being over, like in the blink of an eye. So it's, uh, it, it's gotta be tough. I've always kind of, uh, sympathized with pro athletes, but pro riders, especially just knowing that they have that kind of pressure on them.
1: Mm. Yeah. And, and like loyalty, I guess is really not a thing when it comes to that Oh uh, yeah, I'm just going to take a piss break real quick. We're halfway through brother quick piss break. and then Okay. We'll... Piss breaks. Yeah maybe weed also
2: i'm doing that too <laughs> hey does is my is my shit gonna look so dumb with all those this lighting no, 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 shit? No, should i no, put my good. hat on backwards
1: no no you're good it's all good
2: okay oh, be word brb yeah, yeah these man. are uh, like i feel like we're really getting into some rabbit holes here
1: yeah it's fucking sick i just knew to like fucking you're just one of the guys that get, gets podcast stuff too i think like over here i'm definitely still trying to educate not fuck, sounds a bit gay um i'm definitely trying to like <laughs> i just don't think people are as, has have had the exposure to like the variety of podcasts the same way that americans have like i know dude you would have listened to thousands of hours of podcasts
2: yeah i've definitely i mean i don't even listen to that many podcasts and i've i i listen to a good amount still ah there you go are you still fuck yeah Uh
1: (laughs) dude you're one of like you're one of the guys that got me into weed i reckon there was like probably you Garth, that whole crew because i feel like we probably even started around at, at the same time
2: Yeah, we probably did because I didn't smoke until, I think, like, 2014 was, like, the first time that I did.
1: Dude, I wouldn't even...
2: I had no consistency until, I think, 2015 was when I started, like, actually smoking with a little consistency.
1: Yeah, yeah, mine was, dude, I didn't smoke at all. Like, even as a kid, nothing until I was probably 24, and it was probably, like, right around then. And it was really just, like because of the influence of like garth and Swanee and stuff because i was just like and like other dudes i won't say um but i was just like these motherfuckers kill it like it it always was just like (laughs) it was always just this thing where i was like oh you can't smoke weed and be like good at anything and then i just saw all of these people that were just absolutely killing it and just smoking the exact amount of weed that they wanted to
2: yeah i mean i saw them just i kind of like took inventory of everybody in my life that i was like i know so many people that smoke weed that are successful and so many people that don't smoke weed that got mad problems (laughs) and uh, i was just like i'm like man make maybe i've been wrong this whole time that was was like kind of what opened me up to like all right let's just give it a shot
1: what was it like um what was like i guess the weed culture like in the like when you grew up like in the sort of the area that you were from because california it's obviously just like such a fucking thing like dude all of my ex-girlfriend's parents smoked weed when i was in america that was a fucking trip too yeah
2: it was like i like in massachusetts there it's funny like all of my friends like before i moved smoked but i just had this mentality i don't know why like i think like the dare like you know what the dare program is no. like dare to keep kids it's like a um
1: oh, oh shit. like a i don't kid's remember what it stands for it's like yeah.
2: d-a-r-e yeah and so it's like some kind of like drug education thing that like all kids in america get um and
1: thanks Nixon. so like that shit yeah <laughs> dude
2: like i think reagan i bet it was reagan that pulled that shit and uh that it like totally worked on me. Like I, I thought drugs were bad. And, uh, I was like, marijuana is fucking, it's for losers. And like nobody who is actually functioning, kind of like you said, like nobody who's actually functioning in society does it. And, you know, at thinking that everybody who smokes is a stoner. Cause I heard, uh, did you hear the, um, Ted Nugent Rogan podcast? Nah, It's like, ted nugent is fucking crazy oh, he's kind of fun to listen to God, on certain things
1: is he the guy that's like fully he, against wade
2: yes uh, yeah he was like okay. mega he, he's yeah. like a rock star dude but he um yes i've listened to he, that he, one. yeah it's an mega one, against right? weed and yeah 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 and uh he like he, that guy's always talking about like oh man like i've seen people who have been stoned and they're just so lazy and i'm i was like screaming at the um i was in my car and i was just like screaming like you just (laughs) you you were interacting with so many people who are high that you didn't realize were high Only and like really showed it and uh so that but that was the way that i thought too and then seeing how many people that actually function like totally fine with it i was like Dude, dude, like this is clearly bullshit. So, and I think another big thing for me too was the second time I ever ate uh, an edible, like my buddies made brownies and like pretty potent brownies. And I had ridden my mom's motorcycle over this was when I still <laughs> in Massachusetts. And, uh, and so I only had my permit and in Massachusetts, if you only have your motorcycle permit, you can't ride after dark. And so it was going to be getting dark, and I was so fucking fried. And (laughs) I just was like, dude, I've got to get home. I don't have a choice. It's my mom's motorcycle. And so I was just like, all right, here we go. And I just hopped on the bike and ripped home and had a great time and was totally fine. And I think that was when I was like, oh, like, I was just totally fine right there. And like, so it's just all it just made me rethink everything. And then once I actually started smoking, it was like, all right, I can handle myself totally fine. And there's no, like you feel the anxiety of like, Oh, maybe I can't do whatever it is I'm doing right now. But then you're like, Oh wait, no, that, I, I totally can. That's just the weed talking.
1: Yeah. man. I feel like, do you remember even me? Like I probably, I I feel like I owe, I definitely owe Wes an apology <laughs> in a way. Like <laughs> fuck bro. I used to be, <laughs> need- i used to be such a dick to him about like because you your crew like or our crew with you guys you were the first people that ever even fucking said the word anxiety to me and i do you ever remember me going on rants about like how anxiety is like not even a thing and like
2: <laughs> <laughs> i don't really but that's uh something that i could totally picture you uh, going on a rant about
1: oh man, I used to just go on fucking these rants at the verb house because they're like, this is anxiety. And I was like, I'm fucking sick of hearing this fake word, anxiety.
0: And, uh, <laughs>
1: and so I had all these theories out. It just wasn't real. And I mean, essentially, it's kind of not in it. Like, I still, I guess, believe that in a way that it's just stress. Like, it's not like.
2: I mean, you're right. It is your brain playing a trick on you. Like, it isn't real. The, I've yeah. actually said that before. Like I couldn't I could never like um be with a girl who identifies as having anxiety problems because I'm like, okay, well everybody has anxiety. So if you have anxiety problems, you're just like making it worse. So you're making <laughs> a thing that's already fake worse with your fake. like it's like it's all fabricated in your brain. So you know it's not a real thing. And but then you get and I know that, like, I get anxious about shit, obviously, but then there, if you're not feeling that level of anxiety, then you just can't help but feel like just telling the person, like, just fucking stop. Like, you, you yeah. whatever you're feeling is fucking fake.
1: Yeah. I totally agree, but I will say that, like, weed made me realize what anxiety is. And I don't know, like, I don't know if it's the same for other people, but I'm really drawn to that feeling. Like, I, I'm really... I'm almost drawn to the, like you said, how you get high and then you're like, fuck, you get anxiety about like doing something high. And I'm like, oh, welcome. Like, please give me that now. Like I would like to feel that anxiety in the moment so that then it like really hones my focus in like, cause I Mm -hmm. feel like that's what it's doing. Like if you're, cause I like that anxiety is kind of present in you, whether you're stoned or not. And what it does though, is it's like, if there is a particular thing or a task in your life that should be like, your focus should be directed at, then I kind of want to understand the anxiety of that thing and then force me to focus and really like complete that task. So that anxiety goes away, if that makes sense. So to me, it's always just been like this little mental, mental gym that I could go into and And be like all right let's let's fucking let's get this done together come on we we can do this and it sort of almost became like this tool that it does definitely i guess give you anxiety but it's also the thing that can like make you knowingly overcome that anxiety which i think just helps your life going forward
2: yeah i think that what it what weed really does is it like is it just activating more of your brain and so like you said, it just kind of like when you're doing a task, it puts you into that moment and you start thinking about it a lot. And <laughs> so you it can result in overthinking it. And if you let that that I think that's what the anxiety is, and if you let that get to you and let it cripple you, then you know, yeah, that, obviously that's a problem. But if you kind of get over that and just say, Okay, yeah, like I'm thinking about all of these things, but we're just gonna do it and we're going to get over it. And I think then you can get into a deeper level of focus. Yeah. And and it's like, it's kind of like a highway to the flow state in that sense. That's what I've always felt like.
1: Yeah. And then I feel like, um, I feel like too, that there was a lot of stuff that I guess I could just, I would just sort of say, like, I just didn't, I'd be like, no, I just like, don't feel anxious. And like, maybe I just used to push so much stuff out of my mind and just literally not think about a lot of stuff. But it was probably things that should have been thought about. And I feel like I've come to some pretty like helpful conclusions about my life and, you know, my kind of position in things because of the anxiety that was created and like forced me to reconcile whatever part of me, I kind of like just wasn't even my attention wasn't even focused on.
2: Yeah. Cause it, it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm speaking from like an amateur psychologist's perspective right now, but it's, uh, it's like, what we
1: do, baby. Just
2: it, it, Yeah. Right. It's coming from a place like of uh, like that, there actually is an issue like at the, at the yeah. foundation of it. And so if you can actually dig through and figure it out and take care of it, then you can get rid of it. But if you're just like, I definitely experienced that a lot where I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to, feel really shitty about this thing and whether i know how to change it or not i just like don't feel it or don't feel like it
1: Mm. yeah and i think like it's definitely been a thing that i i mean i've done it for years now so it's obviously something that's beneficial and i always like i take, take i try and take little breaks from it as well and i i definitely want people to understand that it's just not like this it's like anything in life like You can't, you you have to take stock of everything. Like that's kind of your job, I guess, if you can say you've got any form of free will. The free will that you have is like using hindsight to take stock of your like actions and you know, kind of the things that you're chasing, like the impulses that are kind of driving you around in life. And it's like, if you're not taking stock of a lot of shit, your life's probably going to be in shambles. And it's like, you need to take stock of how much you masturbate as much as how much water you drink. And if you smoke weed, you also need to take stock of how much weed you smoke too. Like, it's not just this scot free yeah. thing that can, you can just be like, oh yeah, you just all day, every day. Or like, you, you really need to be aware of what you're doing.
2: And, and why you're doing it, right? Like what's actually motivating you. Like if it's a tool, like, and that's where like the addiction um, conversation, I think like starts up is like, if somebody is using something as like a numbing agent or like a dissociative, then that's like, they're probably using it for the wrong reasons. Mm. And then, then they're just gonna, and that means that they're repressing something else.
1: Mm. and
2: if they don't deal with that they're just going to continue to seek out um ways to dissociate
1: Mm. i wonder that though like i've I've thought about that same thing and in terms of like taking stock of you know using it as like a because i think it's like a supplement or a tool or I, i don't know whether it's a supplement like i guess there's it has a psychoactive kind of effect but it's like it's definitely like a part of a healthy routine in my mind like i don't look at it as a Uh, like a vice even it's just like no this is kind of like just a healthy thing that has to kind of happen to you know just to add to this whole program that we're putting together over here you know and uh but i wonder too because i'm like well if you could say like it's good as a stress relief like if you're in a stressful situation and then you smoke uh, the same situation doesn't feel stressful it's like okay is that a problem then like is there a a better way that stress should be alleviated or is it yeah like that's one that i wonder about because you know you could argue that in two ways quite easily
2: yeah definitely i think that like it's because it's all changing your brain chemistry that's how i think about it at least is just like these things or any feelings that you're having even anxiety like it's all just kind of like a chemical reaction that's happening in your brain and thc changes that and um i kind of look at it like a tool like you said like kind of like a tool and you know even like people drink coffee every day like caffeine is, yeah, is something that yeah like it, that, people that use that in the as way. a way to yeah right to benefit them and th- i think that it's it, it it could so easily have been that like THC and cannabis would have been could have been looked at the same way as caffeine if yeah. like the narrative was different in the yeah. early '90s. Yeah, and um and it would be like, uh, you know, just something that people looked at as like, yeah, that's just something that you do it's to the opposite of benefit your day.
1: You have yeah, coffee. pretty much. It, yeah, like it is. You have it's like oh, when I'm tired, I kind of have some coffee. When I'm a little bit untired i need to have some of the thc and it's just like this little balancing act and it's like uh, have you read brave new world
2: no i haven't
1: Uh, uh, aldous huxley he uh there's like a drug in there it's like this kind of dystopian sort of fantasy novel um but he basically it's like way in the future and they uh babies aren't really born anymore. They're kind of just like made in a lab and given different social hierarchy and intelligence and stuff like that. But across the board, Mm -hmm. everybody is encouraged to take this uh, drug called SOMA. And uh, basically it's just like instant enlightenment to where you sort of don't have space or time and then the effects of the drug wear off and then you're back in reality. So it's like, it's almost like you've got that's both high and low. If that makes sense, so it's like you could say in terms of mm-hmm. coffee as a stimulant, and um, THC is like I don't even know like what you would call the opposite of a stimulant would be like a.
2: It's I, depressive, I think, but I don't think that THC actually. I think, that's I think the that wrong it's actually way to a stimulant, though. Yeah, because uh-huh. it's yeah, they. That's what I think. Like they both because they boot they do both stimulate your brain. Mm. And um, whereas, like you know, things like alcohol uh, actually like shut off parts of your brain.
1: Mm. Yeah, but see, I feel my, the effects. I would say that I feel that are enjoyable to me is I feel slower with THC in my system. As like in the same way that I feel faster with coffee, I just feel slower with THC. To so to me, it doesn't feel as much of a stimulant. I, I wouldn't say I look at it like a stimulant, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I definitely know what you're saying in that you just feel the world around you slows down and that you're just kind of like, you don't need to move as quickly. And whereas, yeah, yeah, coffee's obviously just, you know, straight energy. And And I want both
1: at times. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I always think is so interesting that they pair very well together often. I would love to open like a weed coffee shop. I think that would be great.
1: Yeah, that would be sick. Yeah, it's like a... um yeah it's weird to me that if like my view or my usage of thc is like i've literally just got two sides of a coin in terms of balancing out whatever equilibrium i'm trying to balance out and it's like if one in coffee is super acceptable and i can buy it anywhere anytime 24 hours a day i can buy a coffee but to have the opposite side of that same coin i can't buy thc it's looked down upon it's not legal in australia unless you got a medical permit which is hard to get so it's like but to me why is one thing better than the other if i'm literally using it for the exact same like just two opposite sides of the exact same coin
2: yeah. And, and that's like what I said before It's if the narrative was different back yeah. in like the early 1900s and there was, you know, not all these fake studies done on on marijuana that were funded by the pharmaceutical industry that said that it was bad and that it associated it with all these other really bad addictive drugs like heroin and shit, then people would have actually, if you know, grown to just it would just be normalized in society in the same way that caffeine is because in the same like the the difference in terms of what's actually happening in your brain between thc and caffeine is you know like in the in the grand scheme of things is not that different
1: yeah and it's a it's a, a conscious choice of the person that ingests the compound
2: Yeah, definitely. It's like whatever, (laughs) that's, I think a really good argument for just like making it everything legal. If you want to do it, then yeah, like you, you shouldn't be policed on what you can put into your own body.
1: Yeah. And it's like, what is the, what is the thinking behind making somebody, uh, able to control one thing and not another? Like who, who decides? Because like, I guess then it just becomes to like fucking subjective, like each person has their own subjective experience of what the fuck's actually going on.
2: Definitely. I think that the fact that everybody experiences things differently and even down to like nutrition, like when you, what you eat, everybody, a different nutrition program works for different people. And, but everybody wants there to be like this one blanket like this is what you should eat and that that will make you healthy and this is what you should put in your basically this is what you should put in your body like yeah. to to make you healthy but it's like everyone's different and even definitions of what is healthy are different so yeah it's kind of that's like where i've kind of with nutrition too just like really kind of pushed away everything that I read about or people tell me about and just like what works for me Mm. and like what actually makes me feel good.
1: That's what kind of annoys me about people just taking like real staunch positions on shit as well is because it's like so much of what's going on is just like your opinion. And if we know that so much shit works, like everybody works differently. It's like, why be so passionate like anti-vaxxers what why do you care (laughs) like why are you so passionate about something it's like i'm immunized and i've been completely fine like yeah i I guess that there's a risk in any medical procedure ever and like i don't know why you need to be so passionate about this
2: yeah if i know dude like it's (laughs) there it's definitely like uh like attention seeking in a big way, but I don't really understand. Yeah, like why people feel, even you get to like religious people that need to like push um, mm. whatever their beliefs are on you, and it's just like, why do you care so much about okay. about saving me? <laughs> like dude, it's <laughs> it's like just let everybody live their life, and um, which is you know an easy thing to say, obviously, but it's like. I don't really understand the need to 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 sell shit, yeah. Because that's what you're coming down to is like I want to sell you my belief, and because it makes me feel good to Mm. to to make you believe what I believe or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, makes it good to feel like someone's blind. Have you ever had um? Have you ever had times where you've like in since that time where you've been like a regular smoker? Have you ever had times where you've thought about quitting? Um,
2: not really quitting, but like stopping for a little while just to, um, I don't know, like, cause there was definitely time, especially like at the beginning of quarantine where like (laughs) I would be smoking every day, dude. And I'm just like, cause I was like, I don't know how else I'm going to fucking get through this. And then I started to feel like I needed it. And then it was like, Oh shit. Like is if I need it, then I'm theoretically addicted to it. And that like, even though it's not actually physically addictive, like anything can be addictive. That's kind of what I was saying, like about using things as a dissociative. And, but then, so then I'll stop and then, but I'll feel fine. And then I'm just like, oh, okay, I feel totally fine. So now I can smoke again because I know that I already stopped and I felt fine. So I know that I don't actually need it. I just like, it, and uh, so I kind of like go on that, like, back and forth with it like where i'm just like i just like this so i'm gonna smoke a lot and then i'm like oh shit, i'm smoking a lot and then like actually don't you think that slow it down
1: but don't you think that it's just purely tied to productivity then at that point because it's like obviously it just becomes like it it obviously doesn't become detrimental to you personally in terms of like you as like let's say you removed all the external factors of your life but just like purely just on your mind as Eli. So it's like, once you stop, you know that you can come back. There's no change to you. But I guess the thing that makes you want to stop is if you notice some kind of like lack of external productivity, because internally, like you said, you remain unchanged, but there's obviously some external shit that goes on that makes you um, go, arm slipping.
2: Yeah. It's, Cause it's the first thing that you can identify if something's wrong. Like, so if something bad happens, I'm just like, it's because I'm smoking too much weed. Like, and uh, (laughs) so, (laughs) and like, whether it is or not, it's definitely like the first thing that I think of where that's I'm just like, a fuck, job. maybe, never just, maybe, about maybe that. that's because I'm smoking too much, dude. <laughs> and, uh, but then that's the thing. Like when you stop and then the, you still have those problems and it's <laughs> yes. like, Oh, it's not actually. Weed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just a dipshit.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm just lazy,
1: <laughs> but that's the thing. What? Like, cause you know, to what I said about stress before, it's like, Oh, okay. So it makes me feel better when I'm stressed is that a problem? Should I just be able to just deal with this stress on Mm -hmm. my own? And then it's like, okay, I want to be this guy that can just deal with this stress. But then it's like, if there's a thing that, you know, it's like, so I could guess we could say the same thing about coffee. It's like, man, I'm drinking a lot of coffee. And then it's just Mm. like, then you stop drinking coffee and it's like, you're the same person just without the effects of coffee. And now you're tired. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I'll just go back to drinking coffee every day. But that's what I'm trying to say. Like, is that, if we like, is that the point where it's like, is this good or bad? Should we be burdened as humans to go through life dealing with everything without the aid of any kind of coffee or fucking alcohol or, you know what I mean? Like, then you could Mm -hmm. say, well, is fun a drug? Because fun makes me <laughs> yeah. feel better. So it's like, it, yeah, we're, it's... we're always trying to change our state, whether it's with fun or coffee or sleep or, you know, like there's some, there's some mm. internal thing. We have like this internal compass that points in all directions. That's just trying to point towards comfortability and, you know, like maintaining, uh, like a acceptable level of consciousness.
2: Yeah I think that you know when you're using something to make you feel better there's this sense that for me at least like that it's I like should just feel better yeah, yeah exactly like it's like a weakness and that and if I don't just feel better then I should basically like just train my brain <laughs> to just to just feel better yeah exactly yeah. and it's like how do you how do you do that if you're you know using this uh, outside stimulant for for whatever it is that is making you feel better and uh but then i'm just like i don't know if that's actually how it works like that's kind of where i'm like you hear like you know um like that dude david goggins the navy seal like motivator guy yeah and uh and he not that he's like anti-weed or anything but he's just always talking about like not um using crutches or anything be it like listening to music when you go on runs or something like that he's like that's like a crutch and you're you're making yourself weaker by doing that and if you bring that all the way to like just feeling good you could have that exact same logic but i just don't know that it actually translates um like that
1: yeah and like the translation of that would be like why are you trying to feel good pussy that's yeah, it.
2: right. It, it's just like, yeah, like, why don't you feel good, even though it's like the a person with that mentality sounds like they probably don't feel good. And uh, it's like, that's when you get into I don't know that you can get into like a really existential conversation about um, that. But it's
1: Which definitely something that I've or. thought
2: about. Yeah, right. I know, right. We need to be doing mushrooms right now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's, but it's definitely, like, something that I've thought about. Like, am I medicating myself when I should be, like, having my body deal with this thing on its own? Mm. Yeah. You know, like, kind of like when you're on antibiotics and you're, like, you need to get taken off of antibiotics so that, like, you know, because you, your body has, like, the white blood cells or whatever. I'm, I'm speaking way above my pay grade on medical shit. Yeah. But just like, you know, your body can fight infections. And if it's not, if it is being supported by something outside, it can actually weaken your body. And so it sometimes feels like that's what your brain is like too. Mm. And, uh, but I don't like with, in terms of like your overall feeling and just like whatever makes you feel the best, I guess, like you should probably just, as long as it's not destructive in any way, then then it's something that you should do.
1: Mm. Yeah, that it does come down to like such a, you just, you can kind of follow it down and down and down and down and down. And then you just like the basement of this idea is like, do you want to feel good at all? And it's like, are you living a productive and meaningful life while also feeling good? Because it's like, then let's take it to the extremes. It's like, you've got a heroin junkie. It's like, okay, I want to feel good. I'm taking heroin. Okay, can you live a meaningful and pr- productive existence while mm-hmm. you're taking heroin? No. Okay, man, we probably need to adjust your some shit, you know, like that's going on in there of like what your gauge actually is of feeling good. Because if you need to do heroin and fuck everything else in your life then there's probably some imbalances there that we could just pretty easily mm-hmm. address. But if you're talking about like, should I fucking smoke like it, uh, 50 a weed a week to maintain, you know, and I've got a productive <laughs> yeah. life. It's like, we're probably not having the same qu- the we're probably not having the same conversation.
2: Yeah. But I think that, like you said, just like imbalances that people have, it's in back to everybody's different. Like you know, you hear about people getting treated for depression and being put on all these like drugs and stuff. And it's like, oh, wow. Like if, if like you just smoked some weed, probably like, I don't know. For me, I Mm. feel like that's something that it really helps me with is just like, if I'm feeling bummed out about something and I smoke, most of the time I'll get the perspective that I need, which is just like, hey, you know, like in whatever you're upset about, in the grand scheme of things, things aren't, aren't like that bad for you. But I think that a lot of people that, um, or sorry that I was going to go off on a total tangent right there, but like, I'll just in terms of, um, chemical analysis, like maybe that's just something that like, that's a good thing, right? Like it just Mm. gives me, it kind of balances me out in those situations in the way that, you know, drugs that are supposed to to treat depression are supposed to balance people out, hmm. or or any sort of you know psycho um, uh, medical condition. Like, yeah. it's it's just something that's going that's designed to balance you out in your brain in your brain, like just your the chemicals that are going every which way in your uh, brain.
1: Yeah, it's funny, dude. Like, so uh, I got like I got a friend; she's on anti antidepressants. So I'll kind of go down that, like, I'll try and link up the two, these two thoughts, but I had, um, I ran out, run out of weed, um, a bit ago. And then I was like, I just normally, like when I'm about to run out of weed, I'm like, I got more weed. So I'm not really going fucking days. I'm just kind of like, it's just there if if, it's just there to be part of the program. And then I was coming up to the end of this lot and i was like all right cool so i'm like done i'm not gonna try and get weed in here like we can't just go buy it so it's like a bit of Mm. a process like you never fucking get it from the same place twice and uh so i was just like if i just let it run out and then i'll it'll be however long and then i'll um sort of then it'll probably be like a week or something so like minimum i'm having a week off and um and then i was just like kind of cruising every day like there were probably times where I'd, I'd say my peak like if you looked at my motor in terms of like rpm then i was probably running like a, a higher rpm by like a couple thousand rpm like mm-hmm. every day but it, at peak times it wasn't like constant but i felt pretty fucking stony to be on to be honest you know what i mean i felt kind of the way that mm-hmm. i w- that i want to feel like there are a few peaks that well, probably wouldn't be there if you could set, like if you had THC in the system, but relatively I was like, fuck, yeah. I kind of feel the same, which is like, I guess another question of like, if why, if you feel the same, why do it? But again, it's like that peak RPM thing. It's like, you're avoiding those fucking spikes that can cause a let go. But, uh, but then, so anyway, mm. I've got, i got a friend and she's on antidepressants at the moment. And it's just, it, and it makes sense. Like, and I don't, I don't think, it would be nice if people could do antidepressants without the stigma attached to it. And I'll I'll be the first to admit even when she's like, oh, I'm gonna go see somebody about, you know, just like my general mental health, blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. She's like, I think I'll try to get on antidepressants. And I had like a like that kind of like that little jolt reaction of like yeah. mm-hmm. I was like, oh, fuck, uh, okay. But then I was like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not even going to express any concerns. Like if that's something that she wants to do, then like, I'll just be a good friend and support it. And, uh, and anyway, it was like, literally she went, it was a week. And then I was talking to her about, I was like, how do you feel? And she's like, Oh, good. I'm decided I'm not really going to take him from, you know, from now. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of quick. And she's like, yeah, like, I just guess I just needed to get back to baseline and like, feel that feeling again and now she's like i think i'm good like i feel like i've got this but it was just almost like that peak rpm thing to where it's like she was just fucking free revving in the air a lot and the motor was getting hot and she just needed yeah. to she just needed to come back to some good technique you know
2: yeah she had to cool the engine down it's uh like i i think that's just like just like the rhythm of fucking life dude is like some you feel good and then you feel bad and then uh it's and you don't like you don't know when it's gonna happen and then like you never feel for me at least like if i'm feeling then i'm like i don't feel like i'm ever gonna feel better and then if i'm feeling good i'm just like all right i'm over that like i'm never gonna (laughs) feel shitty again yeah (laughs) and then it just fucking goes around and yeah like and i don't know dude everybody's got like their their way to cope with with that and i didn't mean to sound like i was like anti-antidepressant no,
1: no 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 like, no. I, I
2: totally understand that like people everybody's you know everybody's different and everybody's no, I think got it should be talked um, about
1: way more like because again like i feel like i'm a f- super open-minded person but even hearing that it definitely give me like the little wee really fuck i don't like that But it's like, it's good. And then to see that experience, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad I didn't say anything negative because there was no negative outcome. So like if I would, Mm. you know, had these kind of weird connotations around it, and if I said something, I would have put a a negative spin on a situation that actually had zero negativity around it. It was just like the right move.
2: Yeah, there's like this weird stigma about like, Addressing your mental health and not saying that I feel good. Like, even if mm. somebody's like, that's something that I can't stand about, like having small talk with people and they're like, how are you? And oh, if I'm you good. don't say good, yeah, yeah like it, you're supposed to say I'm good. Like, and if you don't, then it's a fucking problem. And those people are probably pissed that they even asked you. And uh, so it's true. like,
1: don't hang around and those it's fucking like people.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. And, It's like, but it is something that, like, if you don't feel good, you're kind of not supposed to talk about it. And Mm. it's, but that's like when you should talk about it. If you feel good, then who gives a fuck? Like, it's like, all right, yeah, like you don't need to update us if you feel good. (laughs) But like, if there's a problem, that's when you should probably be talking to people about it. And uh, but the, it's just not the way our society works,
1: dude. That's such like a good point. It's like, yeah, if you're good, you probably don't need to tell me. How about you just find somebody that's not yeah. good and like spend the time that you were going to tell me how you're good, spend the time trying to figure out how to make them good. And it's not like, yeah, you it's should, like, it's not like you should feel bad for feeling good. That's like not the message, but the message is like, okay, you feel good? Good. Go find somebody that doesn't and we should try and help them.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like, cause everybody is dealing with life in life stresses and you're kind of like the it's almost like you're the boss of like a, a super hectic restaurant or something. manager of a super hectic restaurant. Yeah. And like, there's so many problems and you've got like some guy running up to you and saying like the stove works great. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I don't <laughs> need you to tell me that. Like <laughs> that I don't need that update at all. I need the bad updates. And <laughs>
1: that's such a it's, like, it's not like you analogy. want
2: the bad updates, but you just need them. Right. Cause that like, you need to make the restaurant run. And uh, it's like everybody is fucking, cause life is fucking chaos. So the idea of like needing to update anybody that you're good is is stupid.
1: Dude, that maybe is the best analogy (laughs) of that situation I've ever heard in my life.
2: (laughs) All right. We did it, dude, and we got existential.
1: We, we got to the bottom of it. It's funny, too, like, um, I was talking to my dad the other day, and we'd, we were just in the shed working all fucking day on these two strokes, and dad's like, man, fuck, it's just going to feel good when everything's done, and I just, like, pissed myself laughing, and I was, like, genuine fucking laughter, and I was like, what do you mean, cunt? When is anything ever <laughs> done? Like what kind of wish? Like are, you are old enough to know that it ain't ever done, bro.
2: Yeah. It's like, but that's kind of what gets uh, for me, at least if I'm doing any level of um, really anything that I don't feel like doing bike maintenance or whatnot, it, I just have to be like, okay, well, I'm going to get over the hill. And that's like what drive it's like the carrot dangling in front of me is just like, Oh, it's going to feel so good when you're done. So I can totally uh, relate to what he's saying there, but I know what you're, what you mean that it's, it's ongoing and it's nothing, it's never done. Right. The issues um, are never finished.
1: Have you ever read Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance?
2: Yeah. Uh That's a good one.
1: As soon as I read that book, I'm just like, Oh, I do bike work now and I'm going to enjoy it. And the other thing that I, I really just fucking enjoy now because of that book is cooking and cleaning.
2: I definitely like it changed the way that I looked at stuff and it looked at the way that I appreciate the things that I do appreciate. And just like, cause it's all about looking for the quality in yeah. something. Uh, yeah. Like, be it like in doing things the right way i guess and knowing that like like, moving
1: towards quality at all times right in terms of thoughts decisions actions
2: yeah right like i mean it's kind of like the that like you know the um the buddhist uh pursuit is like the pursuit of enlightenment and it's kind of like you're kind of trying to do that with every craft that there is, be it motorcycle maintenance or cooking or riding a dirt bike or whatever. And or or even just fucking being a good person, right? And it's like you're if you're always trying to do things the right way, then you're always pushing towards that quality, right?
0: Mm. And
2: uh so I can definitely um relate on cooking and motorcycle maintenance, I'm still kind of a slacker on it because it's I get so fucking mad if shit goes wrong still. Yeah, bro. Gumps and traps, I, man. I have like an aversion, dude. I swear, man, I have a total aversion to doing bike work because I'm just worried that shit is going to go wrong. Like I'm going to strip a bolt and like not get to go riding the next day because of it.
1: Yeah, I'm just all in, dude. Like, I'm all in on the the bike maintenance thing now. Like, I've got a full shed of tools and I'm like, I'm building my own workshop and we're doing that mid-2K, two-stroke build. I'm just going... I've spent like eight hours on my swing arm, dude, just with sandpaper, getting all the scratches out of this fucking swing arm. But that book just totally changed how I thought about that stuff. And it's like, it really there really is a force like that the universe is moving towards quality like you would say that there's more quality things in the universe happening right now than chaotic things and it's like yeah there's there's chaos but if you looked at the overall movement where it things are good and things generally move towards good like your heart beats without you thinking about it your fucking your brain worked without you knowing why or how and for the most part yeah it keeps you alive and you're a fucking, you're a happy dude so it's like to me as soon as it's in that context and that framing i'm just like yes quality like there is this quality force that you sort of tap into and it's like the only time you really move away from quality is when you decide to
2: yeah i think that it's you said the force and i'm like I always loved star Wars when I was a kid. And Mm. now like kind of after I read that book, I'm like, dude, it's, it's not like it's something where I think that I can make shit float with my thoughts or anything. I wish I could, (laughs) but maybe I can, I don't know. Um, but what I'm saying is like, you, like you said, like that quality, it's like, there's, I think there's a balance to everything. I think everything is like binary and, um, can be broken down to you. You need a little of this and a little of that, like the yin and the yang.
0: Mm. And,
2: um, I think that that balance point is like the, is that quality is that force. Mm. And, um, once you can really figure that out, like that's the, as once you figure that out, you figure out the essence of, of whatever it is you're trying to figure out, Mm. um, be it dirt bikes or fucking cooking or whatever.
1: And the thing is like, the it this is more of like I guess a Zen philosophy, which I guess is very prevalent in that book. But the whole concept of it, its like I said this to a guy. So we had the state titles for jujitsu on the weekend, and one of our white belts mm-hmm. from the gym was just like so fucking nervous, like doing his head in, nervous, like it almost passed out. And I said to him, I was like, "Hey, man, at the end of the day, like I know you, per- I personally know you." And I know that when your name gets called, you will step on the mat. You will slap hands with a dude and you will fight. Now, you're not going to back out. So if we kind of know that in 20 minutes time, you're going to do this thing regardless, Mm -hmm. why the fuck are you torturing yourself in the process? It's like you you either pull out and then stop the pain or you just do it without the pain like and then when it's over the relief of the thing being over whether you win or lose will come so it's like you you kind of we're smart enough like intelligent beings to know some of the outcomes that we will face so it's like can you just accept that you're about to do this fight and it's probably going to go more towards the direction of quality if you stop thinking about it and just like experience it
2: yeah i think that's having that presence um of mind to just be like all right i'm gonna stop whatever it is that because like you said whatever it is you're worried about is not is is not there right now so Mm. like because you're worried you're worried about scenarios right like in that case he's probably worried about getting the shit kicked out of him and it's like well that hasn't happened yet so like you're worrying about some, and and it's not even a guarantee that that's going to happen. So like, yeah, hundred percent.
1: And you worrying about it and not worrying about like the actual task at hand is going to Mm -hmm. drastically increase the chances of you reaching the outcome that you're so fucking like hell bent on not having.
2: Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you can just, like you said experience it and feel it out you're going to you're going to do better than if you worry about it so i think that yeah having that perspective of like if you're going to be super nervous then like if you know you're not going to quit then there's just kind yeah. of no sense in being nervous yeah and it's like if you're going to quit then then fucking quit maybe you're not ready but like it's and I mean, I definitely get crazy nervous about shit all the time. So I'm. It's way easier to say than to actually yeah. um, live by. But it's it's something that once again, like if you can get that perspective, then it's uh, it's a game changer. And like, even fuck, smoke a little bolt, smoke a bowl <laughs> before the fight, and maybe you got it. Like sometimes that could definitely help.
1: Yeah the um, that whole thing, like I just feel like I I one of the things that I've just done as I've got older is like, I now decide that once I know something, it's like you learn, you tell somebody, Hey man, if you scrub a jump, it's quicker than straight jumping it. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's logic. It makes sense. It can be tested. It can be proven and it can be done over and over again to the exact same result to the point where you don't need to test it anymore. So it's like, I I get to these junctions of just knowing something. And as soon as I know something, or I feel like I've been given a new perspective like that, where it's like, okay, if I'm I'm not going to quit and I'm going to do it anyway, I need to not suffer through the process of doing it. And I need to take the same amount of enjoyment in the process as the outcome then i've just like once i have that perspective now it was like an adult maybe it's something i've done since i was like 29 30 it's like okay i, I can't unlearn that now that's it if i agree upon it and i've thought about it enough and i've decided that th- this makes sense that's it for me and I now I, I do my best to just like i don't know call it like a tenant or something you know what i mean it's like you have these like yeah. fucking pillars of truth it's like if you decide that then you just don't go back on it because then you're just giving into this like, well, you're not even, you're not living in reality at that point.
2: Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Like you had, there are these like commandments, right. That you discover and it's like, um, to fucking get weirdly religious with that word. But, uh, it's like, you just figure out these fundamental truths of life that you, if you really truly believe them. And like yes. you said, like you actually really inwardly think, and you're like, I, I cannot think of a, a scenario where this is not the truth. And then in, like you said, to be nervous about something, uh, if you're not going to quit, yeah. then you're only, you're only hurting yourself by being nervous. And it's like that. Yeah. That is something that is, that i also believe you believe too like to be a fundamental truth and then when you can just tell yourself that because i tell myself the same thing i'm just like if i'm feeling nervous about something i'm like i'm not going to quit so i'm being stupid right now by being nervous and i'm only hindering myself so it's best to just you know take a deep breath and try to to um just think about the task at hand
1: Mm. yeah and i just think that it's just made shit so much more enjoyable like and then the the cooking thing especially like when you talk about quality cuz de- bro I fucking probably cooked I'm not even joking I probably cooked 6 meals while I lived in America
2: not, <laughs> <Yeah>. e- not <laughs>
1: even a fucking exaggeration at all and I was just like I'm never going to like this I don't want it was just all this shit I sort of told myself and then it was like well when I got single and I had to fucking live by myself essentially I was like just eating like shit I'm like well yeah can we just push this towards quality like if i'm gonna cook Mm -hmm. and then it wasn't even like cooking good food i was like no i'm gonna cook like nice food i'm gonna buy nice pots and pans and i'm gonna buy good knives and it's like let's just let's just make this whole experience about quality like quality utensils quality food and then the experience is quality smoke a fucking joint and just like you know, pour over the recipe. Don't check your phone while you're in the kitchen. Play some good music. Just like whatever I'm like doing, it's like be in it. Mm-hmm. Be fully fucking in it. Don't try and take yourself out of it. Don't try and, you know, do things to pass the time. It's just like everything you do, just, like, just inch towards quality and just see what happens. And then as a result, it's like the fucking... You know the the time goes by quick. The food tastes great. You start to get better at cooking. It gets a bit easier. Yep. And then I feel like the same now with the bike maintenance. Man, like I got that 350, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna look after this bike myself. Like we used to just drive my bikes to my dad's house in the arrowway drop them off, and then just pick them up the yeah. other or like <laughs> get them a bit. We were just like these spoiled little fucks. And I'm like, nah, man. I really I want to enjoy this now, and like. Even washing my bike now, wash the motherfucker. I pull everything off it to wash it. Then I get out my compressor and I'm like blowing it off. And now mm-hmm. I've realized that's the secret to a clean bike is actually an air compressor to blow the water off it. But um, but Truth. yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It just seemed like such a, an easy change in my mind to make where I was like, ah, oh, just move towards quality in every situation. Do your podcast the best way you can clean your house the best way you can and it's just like if more and more and more aspects of your life move towards quality invariably the life itself moves towards more quality
2: yeah that's it dude it's like if you're going to do something, then you should do it the right way. And if you look at everything in your life and you just start doing everything the right way, then you're doing life the right way. Right. Yeah. And, um, it's so funny. Cause like there's so many things that you don't even think about, be it like, I don't know, cooking or like, it could be like putting your shoes on and shit. Like, you know, as people like stomp their shoes on and then they fucking ruin like the heels of their yeah, shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, if you just like, actually put the shoe on then the shoe is going to last way longer and uh and like it's when you start like breaking down the little things in your life and just start thinking like all right just do fucking everything i don't know i'm looking at my room right now and it's a mess but like even having a clean room having a clean bike like you said i think that or or cooking cooking's sick because it's you get the result right away yeah. And so you can be like, I've got the, the quality is right here immediately. Like it's yeah. the food and, and the better the food is, you know, the, the more you figure it out, uh, how to do it the right way. And I mm. think that that's like, even like, like I'd love to make scrambled eggs and I'm like, really tried to hone my technique for making scrambled, eggs, which is a super basic thing to make. Yeah.
1: right? I'm but like that with posting. I think
2: dude. like, yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. it's just like, when you've done it a lot even this super simple thing you're like oh here's the right way to do it and it could take and it takes a long time to figure that out
1: oh man 100 percent. and i'm like that with um it's funny like i I don't know whether you've gotten more into like routines or not but i was the most unroutine person ever and i just avoided them like the plague but now i just am fucking so into my little routines that i've got going but like part of my my morning routine is I make coffee in the same way, but I make it the longest way possible. It takes me like five minutes to make my coffee in the morning. And, and I mean like a real five minutes, like people probably think it takes, you know what I mean? Something that (laughs) takes like 50 seconds instead of five minutes. It's a
0: hard five. Yeah.
1: It's like, it's like an intense five minutes and it's like, I got scales and like, I don't keep any of the beans in my grinder. I weigh the beans the same time i pour the beans in i like fucking tamp it all down then i get my milk and it's like the whole process that i'm doing i could leave the beans in i could automate everything all the potentials there in the machine for automation and i manually do it and it's only because it's like this process that i can do that ensures quality and i've got like that a really good feeling that that comes from that and then i just do it the same way and it becomes like this little i don't know it's like this little anchor and like a symbol of a good day to me a good day to me is a day where i get up with enough time to take five minutes to make the coffee that i want to make
2: yeah i think that that's where it it becomes meditative right like you just it's a, a thing that you are going through the steps and you're just kind of like letting your brain just cycle through it. And then you can start like, it, it's not even that you are thinking about anything, but you are actually kind of like in sort of a meditative state mm-hmm. um, just by like going through the process. I'm, I'm definitely a big routine guy too. So it, it's like, and and that's why, because I think that I get like a level of meditation by just doing things like I've never... I don't really, I don't practice meditation by like actually sitting or anything, but I definitely look at doing even like riding my mountain bike or yeah. riding my dirt bike and stuff as like a form of meditation and even cooking and, and shit like that. Just anything where you're trying to do it the right way and trying to focus on doing it the right way because you have, there's actual like steaks involved, I guess. Like yeah. if you cook something shitty, it's going to taste shitty and but in like if you ride shitty you could get hurt or something like that but anytime where you just have a focus because you care about the result yeah um is it, it that's something where i genuinely feel like i get into like a meditative state
1: mm. well dude so the last probably like a oh, year and a bit i've been going hard on the meditation thing like the actual sitting practicing kind of mm-hmm. deal and um there's these different So, like, the meditative states that you're talking about with, like, writing and making coffee and cooking and stuff like that, it's, like, they're a meditative state in the sense that you basically single your attention to only one thing and the exclusion of all others, and then that puts you kind of directly in the present moment. And then if you do, like, what you would say... So you can do that when you're sitting down by just focusing on breathing. So like when, Mm -hmm. when, if anyone ever says like, Oh, like in yoga and stuff like that, just focus on the breathing. It's like, basically let that, if consciousness is this infinite void that you experience, then let the sound of, and the sound, the feeling, the sensations, all of the aspects of the breath, let that fill the infinite space in which you're comfortable. Uh, your consciousness resides would be the way to kind of explain that. And then you can do the exact same thing in the opposite and by focusing on nothing, like literally nothing. So it's like real, mm-hmm. because it's like if you've, if consciousness is like this infinite black room and then the things that color your consciousness are things that appear inside of that infinite black room, then it's like the, uh, the, attention would be you could like fill that room with the things that appear and you could also fill that room with the nothingness of that room Mm -hmm. to the same effect so it's like for you to hear a sound then there has to be this blank black space for that sound to appear so i think that in the traditional sense of like the sitting meditations where you you can either be focusing like hardcore on and attention and feeling consciousness with one aspect of it's a of something that is appearing or you can try and go the other way which is that complete blank emptiness and if you really get down to it like that's actually what you are as a person is the blank space in which everything appears and then that's when, when you talk about the ego and like you knowing what it is to be yourself is just an appearance in that infinitely black room of consciousness. So it's like, that's kind of the, I guess the, the, the two different ways to achieve that same state. And I think we're all very familiar as like action sports kind of athletes. We're very yeah. familiar with the narrowing of attention to the point where the only thing that you can think of is, is riding the motorcycle. And that ultimately in the end requires no thought because you just don't even have the time.
2: Yeah, you're, that's, uh, exactly it, right? Like it's, everybody says like something that they love about riding is that, you know, whatever problems you have in the world just kind of like fade away Mm -hmm. because you don't think about them, which is totally true. Like you're saying like you, cause you can't like your brain doesn't have the, um, capacity to focus on riding and whatever you're fucking you know you lost your job or something like that and because it's like yo this the stakes are are real here like if we crash it's gonna hurt bad and we don't want that to happen so Mm. that's when you're it's like your brain doesn't have a choice but to focus and to get into that state um and like yeah like action sports that's what have you read that book um rise of superman about the flow state?
1: i think i did the audio book like years ago i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i did the audio book in america
2: yeah, I did I have the uh audiobook too, but it's like it, it's I love that one because it's talking about the shit that I like to do and yeah. why it's good for your brain. And uh and it, it's so true because like any sort any action or adventure sport where it's not like the the shit on the line isn't somebody else scoring, it's you actually getting hurt or dying
0: mm. is
2: like those are completely it's it, it gets you to a completely different level of focus. Not that I don't think that really um, great athletes in like football yeah, and yeah, soccer yeah, yeah. Or, um, yeah. and hockey and stuff don't get into crazy good focus because to them, I think to be great at anything, it requires your brain perceiving it as like life and death. Yeah. Like, well, not not like life and death, but you get what I'm saying, where it's like actually it care, you just care so much about Um, doing the thing that you're doing um, that that you just you get that level of focus
1: well that's why i think about um like people that are good at things i think that what you said is like so right it's like they almost make it to a matter of life and death and it's again it's just that zoom in of focus and attention because attention like in the the meditation app that i listen to is with sam harris and dude, it's mm-hmm. fuck, fucking brilliant. But there was this one thing. I should that, check that out. Mate, honestly, do the intro. If you, it's like 20 something days of 10 minutes a day to get through this intro course. And it'll honestly change like the way you think about just fucking existing But, uh, he, he had this one, there was one thing in the intro course. I just, it's one of those things that I can never unlearn. It's like a fucking, I just learned that this is a scrub, but attention is like this flashlight in the blank dark room of consciousness. And it's like, you can, you can choose like where you point that fucking flashlight. Like if you've got a sore tooth, like you point the flashlight at that tooth and it just doesn't come off. Like you are a toothache and uh and i think Mm -hmm. that the people that get good at things like I, i think about me and my brother riding because it's such a good comparison we're so similar in size and height and strength and um you know same bike same family same everything but he's so much better than me and i think about it now as a like knowing this kind of shit, and i'm just like fuck. he just paid attention like he really, really just paid more attention. And it's this, attention is this silent thing. Like you can look at somebody and I, mm-hmm. I don't know, I do not know the level of intensity at which your intention, uh, your attention is focused on this conversation. Like you can look at somebody and they can be, have their attention in a completely different place. And it's like, you know, you can ride a bike and my level of attention probably started to wane after four or five laps as a kid. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm getting tired. Fuck, I'm hungry. I wonder if my suspensions needs to be changed. Should I get dad to like check my tire pressure? And it's like the attention just mm-hmm. could not be maintained with the same level of intensity. And then I look at my brother and it was like he was just this fucking quiet kid that didn't say much. And I think about it now. I'm like, he must just have really paid attention. Because he just does the yeah. right. He like you know how you said like a kid, like bowers to I guess bring it all full circle. It's like you just looked at him and you're like yeah. he just he just did it right. But it's like to you know we got the advice like when we were kids. Oh wait, the outside peg. Do this, do that. Maybe the guys that are good just paid attention and they just never went around a turn again without really waiting the outside peg, and then that in turn led to the development of another skill and then because they already had a handle on level 100 they could move to level 99 and then you know it's like you get this ability to ask these better questions because you've got more knowledge about something and then you just see this progression and they just applied attention to this thing because i mean i know that there's certain aspects in my life where i've just paid like a lot of attention and i i mean i think about that with jiu jitsu now like i look at some of the guys that i'll train with regularly that i that i'm uh always seen to be better than and i'm like dude i just put in more effort and it to me like you can see to them they scratch their head like why why can't mm-hmm. i why we're coming to the same class and we're doing the same thing and i could i can't beat you ever and you know it sounds like a bit of a dick thing to say but it's true but in my defense i say to him like if you paid the same amount of attention and put in the same amount of effort, like I don't know, maybe you could. But I can see, I know internally what's happening on this end, and then I see the what you're doing, and it it's not they're not going to equal the same outcome.
2: Yeah, and I think that. That's like, comes with the experience too, of just like, you can be looking at the exact same thing, but somebody who knows what to look for is seeing, is seeing something completely different. Right. Yeah. And some that's like with younger kids, some of them just get it. Like my brother too, actually was, oh, he, he didn't care about racing as much as I did. So like I was probably faster than him, but. He he was like you know the Malcolm Stewart to my James to um, compare us to the Stewart Bros. Yeah. But like I would I like really tried to to get fast. Not uh, like I said before, I didn't work hard, but I wanted to get fast.
1: I was the bro and, uh, and actually
2: cared about that. And then my brother was just like kind of he he was just going out there and racing, and he didn't yeah. care about racing as much as I did. But he would he still did it. And my dad would always talk about like how good his line selection was and everything. And my, like my line selection, when I was a kid was terrible because all I was thinking about was I have to go, go, go because I have to be fast. And you know, if you're thinking about trying to pin it everywhere and slamming the brakes in every corner, then you're fucking the whole track up. And if you're actually thinking like, Oh, if I take this line, um, and it's going to connect into that line and then it'll all be able to go faster right there. And that's where all the speed is going to be gained. And if you are, if you just see it that way, then it's so obvious. And it's like, but some, it, you know, when I was a kid, I fucking couldn't see it. And so it's like you said, like the flashlight of, of attention, like wherever you're shining that, that's going to be, um, what you're focusing in on.
1: And I think too, man, like this is, uh, uh, kind of my own like real deep sort of theory on this like if i want to be super honest with myself uh i would say that a lot of the things that would capture my attention and took my attention away from just doing the right things would have been essentially at the base just pure insecurity like i wanted to be faster i wanted to be uh, looked at in this particular way. I didn't want to look bad when I raced. I, oh, I didn't care uh so much about the experience of racing as much as like, I just didn't want to lose to this, 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 this people. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, and it's like, they're all just the goalposts are just so wrong. And I'd even think about that. Like when we were playing so much golf, I think I sort of started to figure out like through the experience of golf that it's like, if you're insecure about like how your swing looks or how good you're going to play, it's like all of it just pulls you so far away mm-hmm. from the act of doing the thing. And it's like if you remove your like self or like your identity and how people could uh frame you in their mind uh through the performance of your, you know, whatever it is you're doing, let's say it's golf, then it's like you're that's like you're just gonna get stuck there like if you can't give Mm -hmm. up the the reins on that and just be like cool with hitting a good shot cool with fucking up a rut cool with getting 12th cool with whatever and because you purely are just there for like whatever it is you're experiencing then it's like i'm sorry but you're never going to be able to uh find like you know that flow like that's such a blocker of flow like you thinking about Mm -hmm. and i mean you as in anybody like you thinking about your own personal identity uh or like trying to con you know cultivate like this personal reality around whatever it is you're doing it's like you there's just a block that cannot be overcome and it's like as soon as you can step outside of that and just do it based on pure experience and only experience, then, you know, you're never going to really truly be able to progress. And I think that that might be why people say like, uh, um, Oh, I just get to express myself. Like I bet when James rode, like we talk about Stuart, it's like, he just got to express himself like that was his personality like he was his writing style wasn't about impressing somebody or that was just purely pure experience like you watching james stewart do these things on a motorcycle that nobody's ever done before and like to him it's like Jimi hendrix playing the guitar it's just like he doesn't give a fuck about like making an error or if he doesn't know the song or if he doesn't know where he's going to end it it's just like There's just this motherfucker on stage in the moment. Just this pure experience that's being had with like no notion of self or how people would perceive him in the moment or wow, I'm a rock star. It was just, you just see like these guys like fully lost and it's like, that's where that real shit goes down. And, you know, me sitting on the start line hoping that I got fucking eighth. I didn't get eighth because, you know, my brother got fourth. It's just like that. No, that's Mm -hmm. like, that ain't the doorway. Like that ain't the stairway to heaven, bro.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's your ego is not your amigo, right? It's like (laughs) you're, if you're thinking about, um, because i was so bad like that like thinking like this certain person shouldn't beat me and if they do like i'm gonna lose my mind or something and then thinking the opposite direction thinking that like if yeah. i beat a kid that i don't normally beat that he's thinking about that maybe but like you really <laughs> maybe probably not like it's uh like if he's, if he's smart, he's not because he realizes that like, Oh, that doesn't actually fucking mean anything. That was one race. And, uh, but it's, it, I would get so, um, in my head when I was racing that that's, I mean, that was a huge reason that I would push it too hard and then get arm pump and then fucking DNF motos. Like I remember actually DNFing motos just cause I was like, I'm embarrassed to be actually like where I am in the pack right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and fucking DNF and quit, which is like, is in, you know, in the, when you're really looking at it from a 30,000 foot view is like the worst thing you could do. Mm. And, um, and actually just going through it and, and getting, cause like, yeah, getting into that flow is the only way to race for me now Um, and it's like the way that I'm like, I, that's the thing that I should have always been thinking about was just like, and that's what I'm kind of, what, um, to bring it back to ride your own race. Right. Like it's just go, go get into the flow. That's all you should do. And Mm. that's the way I look at it now, whether it's at the practice track or if I'm racing, I'm just like, just go out there and just find your lines and get into the, get into the flow. And that's when you actually start because it's it's weird because you're not trying that hard but you're riding faster
0: Mm. and
2: it's like that's actually like when i when i was racing i remember having like certain races where i would be like i'm not trying that hard but i know that i'm doing that i'm going fast and i would be like what's going on and that's just being in the zone and being in that
1: flow Mm. well that's what i always say to people like um when i've just spoken about like the meditation stuff whatever and people will talk about like oh can you ever get to the you know where there's no thought at all and it's like oh yeah and then but it's thinking about it that pulls you out of it so it's the same as like oh if you're like when you're fucked up and you just have like that euphoric feeling you're like i'm so fucked up right and they're like oh it's gone now And it's like, you just have to, I think the way to like stay in that state is to reach it enough times and then have the realization. It's like, okay, once you're there, you have to go with it. You can't think about thinking about how great something is Mm -hmm. instantly makes it not the thing that you just thought about.
2: Yeah. That that's actually in that book, that rise of Superman book where they talk about flow and like you don't realize it when you're actually experiencing it. And once you, once you're feeling like the good feelings, it's already gone. Yeah. And uh, it's like, that's it was when I used to race dude, like I remember this being something that I would always experience was the best I would feel every single time was when I was in the car with my dad, like pulling out of the track after the race. Yeah. And I would be like, that's so weird. Like, why do I feel so good when I'm leaving? Do I actually not like this? And I'm like tricking myself into thinking that I like it, Yeah. but that's when you're at the point where, and you know, you're not hurt. Right. So you like, that's when you're at the point of like, okay, I did it. And it it was, I already experienced like the good feelings. And now I'm just like kind of basking in the, uh, the euphoria of it all.
1: Yeah. And that's what I think, um, what, you know, that guy that I was talking about with that fight on the weekend, I'm like, man, even if you lose, there's going to be such a point of relief at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Like you could get beat and you're just going to be like, I'm just so glad it's over. So it's like that, yeah. <laughs> that point, like I used to get that when, um, you know, how I was saying with filming and stuff, like I'd always say it to Wes, the fucking best filming ever felt for me was fucking when the plane took off to fly home. That was the best (laughs) issue ever felt because it was done. And it's like, I think that that's why you need to put yourself, like you have to force yourself to be in these uncomfortable positions that create like extreme levels of anxiety because there is this fucking prehistoric reward that's like wired into your brain to get such a massive hit for like once a task is completed and it's like you then it's this compound effect like every time you come you do one more of those and then you're like yeah i was able to do i got that feeling again and i like i've got that with competing like this the state titles was the first time i've competed in it like almost a year and i was so fucking nervous dude like insanely nervous but i knew the whole time i was like you just got to feel it you just got to go through it there will be that point of relief at the end of this and Mm. then and i always try and tell myself like every time you do one of these comps you literally want to sign up for one the second that you get off the mat so like just fast forward to being that guy and it's like to play you know further tricks on yourself it's like you already are that guy if you've experienced it once where you've done a comp and you've done well, and then you come off the mat and you're instantly like, righto cunts, who's next? You've been that guy. So like any person that you've been before, essentially you are right now. So it's like, just stop being Mm -hmm. this version of yourself. Like we've all been, we've all had times of like experiencing fucking extreme pleasure, extreme pain, extreme happiness, sadness, whatever. So it's like, if you've been that state before, if you've inhabited that, version of being a conscious human it's like well it kind of exists inside you and you can you have access to that person it's just like the way that you know you i guess you just got to like realize it and then actively seek that out
2: yeah and it's it's kind of like you have to experience the nervousness and then the relief in order to feel the relief afterwards but like it's I don't know. It is a weird thing about like the, about people, like the human brain is like actually wired to reward you when you do something that makes you uncomfortable um, Mm. and, and actually get through to the other side. And I think that's probably why like humanity is like the dominant species on earth is because like we actually, our brain has a reward system that um, incentivizes us to actually like try something that makes you uncomfortable because when you do that, you're actually progressing at something. And mm. I, I think I think about that quote all the time. Like, do something every day that scares you, and it's like it doesn't have to be jumping out of a plane. Like, it could be there's there's so many levels of of that. Be it like just I don't know, fucking talking to a stranger or some shit. But it's like um, your brain will feel good. Like, you will actually, if you know that the, the feeling on the other side is good. Like, then that's something that can. Um, make it a lot easier to experience like the nervousness beforehand.
1: Mm. Yeah, you are right. I've never really thought about that. Like, cause if you like, I look at my dog, I love that little fucker, but like he ain't moving towards shit that scares him constantly. And it's like, there is some kind mm-hmm. of inbuilt reward with us that makes us like act. And I mean, some people don't, I mean, I ain't going to, I ain't hitting LaRocco's leap, but there's some dudes. That oh, gonna... I did. Mm-hmm. Have you hit LaRocco's leap?
2: Yeah, I did. I, that's like my claim to fame for moto is I've done LaRocco's Leap.
1: What the fuck? How yeah. was that?
2: It was sick. I, we, um, my buddies and I used to drive out to, we only did this a couple of times, but we would drive from Massachusetts to, um, Redbud in Michigan just to go and, um, do amateur day and then go to the national and party. And, so the year that I had the Suzuki 450, I was like, I got a 450. Like, I, I know a 450 can hit the leap. So, I, But I wasn't honestly planning on doing it, and it was the practice day, and nobody was hitting it. So I was like, oh, maybe it's not even doable today. But in the middle of the practice day, they did media day for the pro riders. So the pro dudes came out and started hitting it. And so I'm like, okay, I know it's doable now. And the next practice that I did – I came right there's that big tabletop and then there was like it was a yeah. similar layout to what they had this year with the tabletop and then a sweeper. Yeah. And then you go up the face and the face looks like a fucking mountain. If you've been to Redbud, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen like the face you're coming up this mountain and I just hit the outside line and was like, I'm just I'm just going to feel it out. And I hit the line and I was like, ooh, that felt pretty good. And so I was like, I'm just on the throttle right now and I'm just going to stay on the throttle. And I, uh, hit the lip and I knew right away that I had it. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. So I like totally enjoyed the whole, the whole trip, uh, to the landing. Cause I was like immediately the second I left the takeoff, I was like, fuck yeah. I greased it and I (laughs) did. And then, and then the next lap, I was so psyched. The next lap, I hit that tabletop that's before it. Cause that jumps pretty big too. Yeah. And I hit that tabletop that's before it and I scrubbed it like the hardest that i had scrubbed it all day and i wound up kind of landing on the knuckle and sideways and i swapped out and ate shit and i was done for the day so i only hit i hit the leap one time that was it
1: no shit that's a that's probably like a more Mm. gangster version of the story than if you just sessioned it all day
2: Yeah. I'm like, cause I raced, uh, the next day and then the Sunday, but like during the race, it's so hectic to hit it unless you're the lead guy. And so I didn't hit it at all in the races. And, uh, and so I only hit it that one time, but I was like, yep, I fucking did it. And I've been (laughs) chirping that one, uh, to everybody who will listen ever since.
1: That's awesome. You just said it to like thousands and thousands of people. So I'm stoked
2: fuck yeah <laughs> gypsy Wait, just, gang i hit LaRocco's leap
1: <laughs> well i'm just gonna piss again then we'll wrap it up dude i got uh i got this like water tracker app now on my phone and you know how like you can put the little widgets on your home screen on the new ios
0: Mhm.
1: yeah so i got this like water tracker app on there and yes i drank five four liters of water and uh like i'm that's just like my daily goal and it's really not that fucking hard like if you've got a target in front of you like the little circle on your home screen and then you get the notification. so but man i can do podcasts so easy without having to piss and i've had to piss twice and i haven't even been drinking water while we've been doing it
2: yeah that's what sucks about like actually properly hydrating is like because i try to do that too i try to drink a shitload of water all day long and uh but dude it's just like yeah you're pissing fucking and even at night too i oh. get that do you get that where you have to like go at night because i fucking wake up every single night having to well, piss like so, and a lot of times multiple times
1: well i'm pretty good at sleeping all the way through but what does um what does fuck me up is in the morning man like i just now i just get up so early in the morning because at that point like i just can't wait anymore
2: right yeah dude it's i try to like kind of taper off i try to drink like most of my water and during the day and then taper off at night so that i um don't have to go so bad throughout the night but it's i don't know like if i do a mountain bike ride or a yoga class in the afternoon then i'm just fucking crushing water all night anyway so it's like and then i always like like to have it um right by my bed in case i wake up and just lay on and I don't know want to wet my whistle
1: yeah the um the the advantages of being properly hydrated and especially because i've got this fucking kidney problem but man for me with training like at jujitsu at night you sweat so much man so if i go to training dehydrated man like I've had times where I've pretty much almost passed out because I've gone to training mm-hmm. sort of dehydrated and just lost so much fluid. So quickly, your body's just like, bruh, we're shutting you down, man. You've, uh, we're vetoing, we're vetoing you right now.
2: It's crazy. Right. Cause like you feel like you've done everything else the same and, but you're just, you don't have the, uh, the water. And so you just feel so terrible. And mm. yeah, with, if I do, um, Uh, like a hot yoga class or something because I sweat like fucking crazy when I do that and if I'm not hydrated dude I straight up feel like I'm gonna die and then if I'm properly hydrated it's not even that hard Mm. and it's just that makes such a difference and what uh I'm obviously I'm a Tom Brady fan, so like he one of his things of like the tb12 method is just drink a shitload of water so I was like, okay, Tom knows. So I'm. That was like what made me start actually thinking. And it's like, I don't know. The only thing your body needs is oxygen and water. And mm. so like people don't actually in like the normal person doesn't breathe enough and doesn't drink enough water. Um, Dude, so, so it's like yeah and so i'm like okay so your body doesn't necessarily tell you like you need well it does tell you like if you're thirsty but like basically if you're thirsty it's already too late right like mm. you're already dehydrated at that point point. and uh so i've just try to like constantly be drinking water
1: yeah it's definitely something i've been slacking on and something i slacked on because even because of this like i just can't be getting up to piss every fucking every hour when you're doing a three hour definitely
2: podcast. dude yeah when you're doing long podcasts it's like it has gotta be um fucking gnarly when you gotta take it I mean I don't know if I listen to like Rogan or anybody's podcast and they're like yo I gotta go to the bathroom right now I'm just like oh shit yeah like I would definitely feel like I would have to stop that shit and go to the bathroom
1: <laughs> well uh we speaking of we literally just hit three hours how was your first gypsy Tales experience
2: it was my most positive podcast experience that I've had, even with the technical difficulties that we experienced.
1: Yeah, no, they, they weren't that bad though. No, I'm so stoked. Like, for me, this is such a like a high expectations episode. But for everybody else, like, nobody would have literally any expectations or know anything <laughs> yeah. about like what we're going to talk about. But i fucking. I think we, I think we nailed our first one, and I'm definitely down to do more of these and i fucking wish that we could do this shit in studio
2: hell yeah dude i mean i'm someday i'll get down down there to the land of down under and actually do this in the studio but i definitely want to do some more we got i mean i thought we were going to talk uh like a lot more racing stuff and we got like way more uh, into actual life stuff so you uh Gave me the real gypsy tales experience.
1: (laughs) No, that's sick. Dude, (laughs) I want to, um, when are you going back to HQ? Oh
2: shit. I don't even know. It's uh, like, I know that when it happens, it's going to happen in like kind of phases and yeah. And as a producer, you know, a lot of my job, it happens outside of the office anyway. So I think I would probably be in one of the later stages. Mm. Um, And so I know that it hasn't even started happening yet. So it's probably, I'll bet it'll go through the winter.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. eh? Fuck, It's such a gnarly weird time.
2: It definitely is dude. And it's like, part of me, I love not having to commute to work, but like when you're not in the office, you just feel like there's because there just is like a disconnect, um, between everybody and even though you've got like zoom meetings and shit like that it's just not the same yeah and it, it's tough like when you work for a big ass company i would like i'm glad i'm not in like a big managerial role because it's like it would be so hard to actually like make people um function together when they're not actually together at all
1: mm. yeah no it's just yeah super super weird times and like it's just so I feel like the one probably good thing to come out of it is it's probably shown people that like there probably is a level of flexibility that we can have around people working from home because some people would excel in that environment and other people wouldn't. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, let's just group together all the people that excel in this environment and then let all the other people that excel at home and like let's just have everybody kind of like working to their whatever is most efficient for them.
2: Yeah, I think definitely I've said that a lot, like throughout this uh, whole quarantine experience, is you're going to see a shitload of jobs that just go to being remote. And mm. uh, because, or cause they're just like people, like you said, people are figuring out which um, not only jobs, but also people work better um, in office and out of office. And cause it's for the, and for a company, you know, it's, they have incentive to figure out the people that can work yeah, out yeah, of the exactly. office and to let them do that because it's going to, it's going to be more efficient and cut their overhead, um, if they can like downsize office spaces. So it, you know, it's, it's just something that hasn't ever been addressed because it wasn't ever possible until like, you know, yeah, well, 10 years too- ago.
1: And it's just like too big of a risk too. like companies aren't just going to be like, let's just try send everyone home. It's just like, mm, nah, right. Like mm-hmm. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But now it broke. So it's like, okay, well now I guess we can try and fix it. So it sort of makes sense yeah. and technology. Yeah. Is it's like,
2: a, right. It's just a, there's a paradigm shift that happened and like, it was
1: instantly, it, it too. took
2: like, yeah, it took a, an, a pandemic to make, people like oh think okay let's rethink these systems that we've had exactly the same because i would i was like the first person to complain about doing like a 40 hour five day or sorry a 40 hour work week five days a week and um because it's like it's something that was perfected by henry ford um with with assembly linemen that were doing these mindless the exact same task over and over and over yeah and It's like, that's not what so many people's jobs are not that at all. So to say Mm. that that's this five day work week is the thing that's going to work the best is just like, you don't, you don't have like any leg to stand on in making that argument.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's gone now. And I think about like anybody that does well, like if I think about my life, I worked till 1030 last night or 10 o'clock last night and then I get up this morning and then I you know, like I'll literally just this job is a lifestyle to me. Like my life, this is like my mm-hmm. life's work. And I feel like if you can give somebody, I feel like even in your position, like your life kind of does revolve around like working for red but I mean, I don't know what it'd be like at home in these times. but I know like when you're in the office and we're doing the shoots and it's like we're always talking about work, thinking about work, and it's like when you can create, an environment for employees where they can like have this great life that they want, but their work is just integrated into it. And it's like, you can do it whenever and you can do it all these at all hours and you could do it from a cafe. You could do it from the office. It's like, just let people make it feel like it's their lifestyle and they get to live this ideal lifestyle. And that's probably the way to have these happy employees. And obviously You can't have everyone sending emails at fucking three in the Mm -hmm. morning after like 10 glasses of wine. But it's like within reason, you should be able to let people kind of have a more transient approach to, to that 40 hour week.
2: That's definitely the, the way that you're going to get the best out of them. Right. Is like when people feel so connected to whatever that they, to whatever they do, Mm. Um, that they're thinking about it all the time. Like there's not really a way to for them to just shut off because I know that a lot of people, when they leave their job, like they don't think about it at all anymore or they mm. try not to think about it even. And not that everybody, I don't really think that everyone's life should revolve around their job, but I do think that in order to do the best job possible, you need to feel as connected to it and yeah. feel like the autonomy and ownership of it, um, of whatever it, it is. yeah. Um, so that you can, you actually care about it because if you, that's, I know that's what it was like with when I had Brotocross, dude, when I had the blog, it was like, I cared about it so much because I cared about maybe even for the wrong reasons, like caring about what people thought mm. about me, but like, I cared so much that I was able to, to bring it to a level that, I wouldn't have been able to otherwise because I was so focused on making it good.
1: Mm, Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Well, uh, that's it, bro. We'll wrap this one up. I, uh, fucking wholeheartedly appreciate you coming on. That was so rad to get to, uh, and even just fucking personally dude. just to sit and talk shit for three hours is, uh, yeah, I miss that dude. It's fucking, I'm keen to get back and hang with you guys at some point.
2: Yeah, dude, it was just awesome talking. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a fun experience and uh, yeah, shit, dude. It's always awesome talking with you.
1: Nah, appreciate it, brother. Um, stick around for a sec. I'll just stop all this recording and we'll have a quick little little all right. fine, fine kind of goodbye, you know.